I think we're live. Um, good morning to everybody and welcome to the September 30th, 2023 edition of the Saturday Free School here in Philadelphia. Um, we have a decent amount of things we're going to talk about today, but um, we're going to start with the Henry Winston Symposium that's happening in November, I believe, um, and just give an update on organizing and then talk through some uh, further updates on the journal that we're also launching this upcoming November, uh, Avant-Garde, and then um, we'll also talk about the 2024 election and where we are in terms of that. Um, but yeah, for the Henry Winston Symposium, I'll hand it over to Shafu to give some updates. Okay. Um, so, good morning, everyone. Uh, I want to provide an update on the upcoming conference focusing on the man uh, and the mind of probably the greatest communist leader in the history of America, Henry Winston. Um, <laughs> the basic the basic underlying foundation of this conference is our belief that Winston was a scientist. He was a scientist with a scientific method as sophisticated as Einstein's. Mm -hmm. And we have been struggling really for a few weeks to find a title that would be broad enough to encompass the breadth of Winston's ideas, but also highlight his most relevant contributions for our time and the future. So we have converged in calling this conference Science and Revolution, mm -hmm. a symposium celebrating 50 years of Henry Winston's A Strategy for a Black Agenda. This will be a two-day conference held on the 11th and 12th of November, which is the second uh, Saturday and Sunday of the month of November. And it will be held here in Philadelphia at the First Unitarian Church. For, and so for everybody watching, uh, everybody is welcome to come down and attend this celebration. Um, the first day, we will have a documentary screen which will be made, uh, which has been made by our uh, dear friend Emil, um, which will be followed by remarks from Doc, who will talk to us about Winston, having personally known him, and <laughs> our first panel about the scientific mind of Henry Winston and his revolutionary ideas analyzed through the lens of our present crisis will be a round table discussion. Um, and we sort of came to this because this, this formulation of the three dimensions of Winston's scientific method, the scientific rational, the black proletarian imaginary, and the revolutionary imperative is such, is such a unique thing. It's such a unique concept that needs to be discussed. Um, and so we decided that this has to be a more broad discussion of how Henry Winston perceived the world with the help of this or with or through this formulation. And um, like Einstein, Winston sins against reason or sometimes 
he chooses to be irrational uh, in his thought to go beyond the scientific in his attempt to get at the truth. Mm -hmm. And this is something that really took me a long time to understand. But I think with the help of this conference and the ideas that we're going to put forward, we're really going to understand what this is, this black world, what this black world is imaginary is, which stems from the life world of the black proletariat, mm -hmm. which stems from the experiences of uh, black people through history, through time, which shapes a kind of intuition, a creative control that does not make sense through, if you want to think of it through categories. Mm -hmm. But it is what really advances um, thought beyond the rational. And so we can formulate it. Uh, uh, and so Winston formulates it that way. And Henry Winston lived in a time that was vastly different from the one that we live in. And we hope to discuss not only his time, but the concept of time itself. <laughs> and the concept of time as a means of measuring changes in our lives, as a means of measuring um, the movement in our life. And you know, all of this in the, uh, in the first day of the conference, it will be it will be philosophical, our consciousness will be heightened, but it's all going to make sense because Henry Winston was rooted in something and that something is the people and the people are concrete. Their lives are concrete, the time that they live in is concrete. And so none of this will be um, abstract because everything will come back to the people and the social conditions and the social realities that they live in. And what, what Winston <laughs> believes is that time cannot be understood as something separate from this social life, from the social lives of the people. And that movements do not happen because there is a scientific rationale or, or which dictates a specific time that makes them happen, but because the revolutionary imperative that lives in the people spurs them to make it time for the movements. And I'm sure that other people will have things to say about this, but this is how I made sense of it in my head. And we are living in a very, very revolutionary time period. This will lead us very naturally into our second panel, which is something we in the preschool have been talking about for a long time, which is the fourth industrial, fourth American, I'm sorry, fourth American revolution. Yeah, this, this panel is on Sunday. This is still, still Saturday. It's still Saturday. I'm sorry. So this is the fourth um, American revolution and the peace industrial economy. Sorry, I get that mixed up. <laughs> um, the fourth American revolution uh, and the birth of a new American people is something that the future of America deserves and we are getting closer and closer to it every single day.
there has never been a time in the past where the white workers of this country have been in complete rebellion against the ruling class and the state. And they are part of a class movement that has transcended class as a purely economic category. And white workers are probably for the first time beginning to see themselves in the black worker. Mm -hmm. And which goes to show that the Du Boisian concept of the centrality of the black proletariat in the struggle for democracy that Winston recognized is coming back into the consciousness of the people. And Another thing that I've been thinking about, you know, since the Korea conference and Murray's presentation on civilizations, is that America is not known as a civilization in the same way that India or China is. Mm -hmm. And it is not associated with civilizational values. Mm -hmm. But this time, this time is an opportunity for the American people to establish America as a civilization, a civilization based on peace not a civilization based on war and dom domination. So that is hopefully what we will discuss on day one of the conference. And then on day two, which is Sunday, we will uh, have a panel in the morning. I forgot to mention, we also have lunch on Saturday after the documentary and Doc's remarks. But on Sunday, we're going to be talking about uh, the first panel on uh, on Sunday, we're going to be starting a little later on Sunday, probably after mass on Sunday. And we will be talking about, again, another something that, have, that has been in preschool conversations quite a lot, which is neocolonialism. And Winston writes about this quite extensively. However, neocolonialism in Winston's time was a lot different from our time. In Winston's time, neocolonialism was on the rise. It was one of the weapons that the ruling class and the world elites were using, actively using to exploit the people all over the world. However, in our time, we actually see that there is a crisis. There's a crisis of neocolonialism. And the flip side of that is that there is a rise of the Afro-Asiatic world. In this crisis of neocolonialism, the ruling class is getting more and more desperate. It is trying to utilize war and whatever it can to keep control. But that is failing. There is a deep crisis, the backs are against the wall. And what we are hoping to discuss through this panel is this crisis, what are the means and methods of in our time compared to Winston's time of uh, neo-colonialist expansion and how the Afro-Asiatic world, Africa, different countries of Africa and China, how they are rising. And this, all of this in a vacuum of a world movement, there is no world peace movement, there's no world communist movement, Henry Winston did not live in these times. It is much more difficult for revolution to happen in these times, but we're still making it happen. That is the importance of um, 
Henry Winston's thought that we have to we have to really bring into our lives today. And when we talk about the world in the present, then we naturally need to talk about the world in the future. So we are still thinking about this, that um, the, the last panel, which will focus on the children, the youth, the US people, and the future of America, we're also planning to try and make this into a, a roundtable discussion because honestly, uh, in one of in uh, our Tuesday meeting that we had, Eddie pointed out that we have more questions than answers <laughs> at this point because there really are a lot of questions about our future, about our children. You know, we have maintained that children are the future. We have maintained that the education and well-being of the children are is supposed to be prioritized it's, it's supposed to come in the forefront of thought and we're going to discuss what is the future of the children of america what is the future of the youth of america what role do they play what is necessary for the, to get them to implement winston's dialectical thought you know, what will get them to have purpose? What will get them to instill in themselves this revolutionary imperative? So we're going to be talking about all of this and more. You know, we're still trying to develop a lot of the ideas and I'm sure that the other members of uh, our committee will have other things to say, uh, but this is going to be something that has not been done before. This is going to be something that changes the way that we think, that other people think about the world and about how um, the future is going to be shaped. Yeah, I'd like to add to that. That was beautiful. When we were uh, discussing the book, something that really stood out to us in the beginning was just how much the world had drastically changed since Winston's time. So this was written in 1972. King was assassinated in uh, 1968. Uh, Neocolonialism uh, by Kwame was written in uh, 1965. And uh, at this time, the uh, basis for the American people to relate to each other without the divisions of race, animosity, it was there. Um, you know, we could sense a common, a more shared condition and common destiny. And the colonial people were freeing themselves with political independence, developing a you know, shared sense of Africa originating from a historical, civilizational basis and a common experience from colonialism as well and the need for unity to overcome the forces of Western domination led by the US. And really, the American people were becoming more conscious of their connection to the rest of the world. And uh, all of this was uh, anchored by the existence of the Soviet Union as a force for world peace and uplift for the oppression of the world. And uh, I mean, if we were giving, a, I guess, just a book report, we could say that, oh, Winston painted a picture for his time, and he was able to see that some reactionary forces were steering 
possibilities into unproductive and self-destructive direction. They're giving us giving us some direction uh, out of that through a stage of democracy and hopefully ultimately socialism, which is all valuable. Um, but uh, I mean, we we need so much more than just an, an image of this time. And he gave us a lot more. Uh, I would say that he, I guess, one did paint the picture, but it feels more like he gave us a movie because he helps us see the world in motion. We can understand, change, uh, identify this uh, positive possibility, and attempt to realize it uh, based off of those three modes of thought that uh, uh, we've been discussing: of the categorical, experimental, rational. <laughs> Uh, as well as the uh, imaginary and then the moral imperative. And uh, really, I mean, it just, just, it, it just, it's, it's really stretching the way of thinking, really making it broad, because I think one is just a uh, strong claim to say that we think in categories. Uh, just, just even establishing that, I think, is going to be a conversation that uh, will allow people to not just analyze and explain, but uh, predict in the future. Uh, and uh, it's especially when, you know, uh, thought of in the uh, uh, American people as, you know, the existence of a black military and a white military, uh, there are historical categories, you know, we're basing a lot of the voice. Uh, and uh, it's still central for, for today for making sense of the possibilities, but there's been, a, I guess, a broadening and a, and a movement, a, a dynamic at play where the American people have become much more one. Uh, I guess we've, we've used the word, uh, the, uh, the uh, coalition of the discontented, uh, one, one, way, one way to think about it, but as uh, Shantou described, really, uh, as great exemplified by the Trump movement, the best of what they uh, are embodying and what they need to really pull, make onto themselves is uh, uh, the fruits of, uh, of the black struggle. And uh, uh, one, one of the, uh, the, the sense of time that uh, we get from Henry Winston and movement uh, makes me think about, I guess, the stages of development uh, and, and movement of history, which uh, I think calls us to make uh, I guess a democratic move forward, which I would say uh, the current word that I have for it is the democratization of the ideological struggle. The ruling class's ideas are insufficient for this time. Uh, the white worker is especially conscious of itself being ruled against their wishes. Uh, and people are looking for a way out. People deserve uh, to have a say in their future, a say in their destiny. Uh, and uh, I mean, I guess we, we like to say we have something to put forward in the conversation, but nobody can do it alone. Uh, and so it is the necessity uh, for the American people to progress and the country to progress for the ideological struggle to be uh, democratic. And uh, I mean, some, something that uh, I, I still stretch my mind to think about is you know, we have, we have to think about this from, you know, rational, categorical, experimental. Uh, but there are certain limits to that. Uh, it's, you know, I mean, without it, you're, you're not going to get very far, of course. But the limitations to purely thinking in this kind of way will 
not be sufficient even for this time. Uh, and you can only take that uh, that leap when there's something that you may not necessarily fully understand with your with your brain yet, but maybe you know with your heart, uh, or maybe there's something you can envision and, and, and trying to find a way to get there. You have to be able to believe in it uh, and to try to realize it. Uh, this is this is just my personal understanding. This uh, this imaginary, you know, I've I've only begun to understand it from the like this generative uh, power of the artist to make real in some way uh, high aspirations and, and uh, uh, worthwhile dreams. And uh, in terms of the uh, 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 new American people, we've discussed the, a, civil, a civilizational uh, draw, drawing upon the idea of civilization which you know we don't have the, the american people are very young we've only been around i guess as a country for a few hundred years yeah. let's, let's get back to the organization of the conference okay if you don't mind because there's some details that we gotta you know if you don't why don't you go ahead i don't want to interrupt you right but i think we have because uh, we've got like six weeks yeah go ahead details of the conference with you well for instance um <clears throat> We got established that it will be here. Mm -hmm. It will start on Saturday at what time? At ten in the morning. At ten in the morning. That um, and we will go until what time on Saturday? We want to like four or five. Four or five, and then on Sunday we will begin at probably noon. At noon, yeah, because of no. service. Uh, one more closer to two. Closer to two. Closer to two. Closer to two. Okay. Okay. Uh, in the basement or the sanctuary? In the sanctuary. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We, we will start in the the room that we had, the uh, Civilizational Concert. And, um, okay, that's kind of where we, you know, where, where we will be in the time frame. We'll go on Sunday from 2 to... 2 to 6, maybe. Two to six, and we will have how many panels on? We'll have two panels. Two on on Sunday, Sunday and one on. Or two, two on Saturday. Saturday. Yeah. And we have two each on Saturday okay. and Sunday. That's and so one of the panels on each day is probably going to be a round table instead. Okay, one of the panels will be a round table. Now, what is the difference between what, what will yeah. a round table look like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, if I can add to what everyone was saying, mm -hmm. I mean, so like like what Chandanu was saying, the reason to do the first panel in terms of a round table is because I think these are ideas that are being worked out. These are new ideas which I think we're all uh, like you know we all have to. I mean, to be a part of and develop. And that's why the idea of a round table where everyone has, like, you know, a few people have um, short presentations and there is a longer discussion. Um, and, like, you know, there are many of these questions that can be worked out. And the first round table, the one on the science of Henry Winston, it will follow Doc's presentation of the essay um, that we've been working on. And so the main part of that round table will be the working out, you know, through conversation and through discussion of the main part of, of you know this paper of this formulation so that's going to be the round table on the science of henry winston so the round table will be like a response to docs no 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 i'll just be talking about like how i knew him because oh. see, we're going to have uh emile's documentary okay. we have winston you know i think we've seen it 
And then, you know, I'd be taught a little bit, you know, how I knew him, the kind of person he was. Uh, maybe, you know, I haven't thought of, you know, the role of humility and empathy in the development of science and the development of leadership. So I'll talk, you know, and, and just to give a little more flavor to his life or, or, or understanding his life. And then this, go ahead, I, 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 I don't know if No, 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 you, because see this, this first panel will be really the essence of what we're trying to do to establish science as a uh, fundamental uh, part of revolution of a revolutionary process, but then to define what kind of scientist Winston was. And this is going to be, you know, a big task, a complicated task. I mean, you all could, you know, I, so that's, that's, and so it will require something like a, a round table with very strong moderators. You know, the moderators can't just be, well, I'm waiting for y'all to say something in the audience. If the audience is not stepping up and meet, the moderators have to challenge, you know, you know what I'm saying? So it's going to be a very, but it's going to be complicated and such and such and so forth. Mm -hmm. The second one on Saturday is when? Um, the second one is going to be on the fourth American Revolution and the birth of the New American people. Yeah, and this whole thing of the peace industrial complex. And um, so that okay. is that is going to be a panel. That's so a panel. That's a panel. And then on on the second day, on Sunday, when we're starting at two p.m. in the sanctuary, uh, we're going to have another panel, which will be focused on the crisis of neocolonialism yeah, and yeah. the rise of the Afro-Asiatic world. Yes. And then we're going to end with uh, another roundtable discussion about the children, youth, and the future of America. Yeah. 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 So it is more of a symposium That's right. yeah, than a, quote, conference type of thing. Yeah. Um, we will need audience participation yeah. in, uh, most definitely in the roundtable discussions, especially because there are a lot of ideas that you know we're still trying to um, tease out, um, and especially the first first roundtable, which is going to be the basis for the entire thing. Yeah, yeah, and as, and also the last, which is going to be the question about the people, question about the children, question about the youth, where we will need everyone in the <laughs> as well as the people on the panel to really discuss what is necessary to move forward for our times. So yeah, two days, Saturday, starting at 10, going up to 5, I think, and then uh, that will be in the basement. And then on Sunday, we're starting closer to 2. That would be in the sanctuary, mm -hmm. and uh, we're going to go till. I think we have yeah. until, we should leave at eight, so we have it even up until seven if the oh, message. Yeah. Conversation gets active. <laughs> All right. Mm -hmm. okay. So uh, yeah, we have the place till eight, so we can go for long. Yeah. Now um, the church is charging us a thousand dollars for the two days. 
which is reasonable, I think. Mm -hmm. So uh, we have to, you know, set up a, a, a GoFundMe and and raise money. Uh, we have to um, uh, begin, you know, to mobilize, of course, through the uh, mechanisms of um, of the internet and you know, blase, blase, all of that, social media. But we, we probably are going to have, and we should try to leaflet and get people. Now, I think I think it is almost confirmed that Todd Doherty and them are coming from New Mexico. He said, he, he text or messaged me, what do I think of, um, the Center for Political Innovation. Maupin, Maupin. He asked me, well, would you want him to come? I said, definitely, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the people from uh, Midwest Marks. Mm -hmm. Now, I think one of the things we should do is to make it available to people who can't be here physically. Mm -hmm. So we have to have some kind of internet, some kind of chat, some kind of way that people can not only write in chat but can also speak. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, we'll see, and that'll be very important, I think. The other thing is that Todd and those are republishing strategy for black agenda. Mm -hmm. uh, and they should have that done by November. Uh, I think a part of it is they're waiting on this the a forward that I wrote, and also uh, Serafina doing the cover art. So that'll be happening. Uh, I'm just thinking. Oh, um, yeah, I think we forgot to mention one thing that on the first day we'll also be launching the Avant Garde magazine. Ah, yes. Oh, oh God. God. I forget that Avant Garde will be launched on the first day. And we could talk more about that. So, you gonna have any avant-garde music? Well, definitely. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, we will launch avant-garde. Um, oh, yeah. Just a couple of uh, organizational details. Okay, we got about six weeks, mm -hmm. which is about forty-two days. Is that it? Yeah. So we have to. Every day counts. Um, I, I, I think the audience for what we're going to do, um, I would hope that our audience is essentially young people. Um, I think that we should not be put off if, you, you know, you know, there is, I, I have like a, you know, activism and what are called politics, radical politics, are infused with anti-intellectualism. Yeah. Deep anti-intellectualism. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of, and I talked to Sarah, I talked to Samir about this, all other people, uh, a kind of a resentment and competitiveness with the preschool. Right. You know what I'm saying? That, I mean, and that's a real, that's yeah. a real. And mm -hmm. all the forces that are producing this, uh, we don't know and we don't have to talk about right now. But um, it is an unnatural kind of, I feel, 
uh, uh, competition with free school. It doesn't make sense, mm-hmm. um, but it's there. So um, we have to work hard to build our audience and the potential audiences out there. And, and I think the uh, Lotus reading of Baldwin kind of shows something very important that young people are looking for ideas. Uh, that's not all young people, but uh, and we can build our own constituency as we've always had to do. Um, so we, what, what, what did Shantana, what did we say our budget? We approximated our budget at what? So we put the high end to be twenty five hundred dollars, mm-hmm. and I think that everything will be covered and more in that. Okay. And that includes rental, lunch, and uh, and performance. If we have any, if we have performance, we have performance. Yes, and we was oh, good. Yeah, that's uh, and um, if we wanted, like we're still discussing whether we wanted to uh, print out the first issue of Avant Garde and have it oh, at the yes. event itself. Yes, that's we have to talk with Jerry and Michelle about that. Yes, yeah. mm-hmm. we we would probably need a more accurate um, number of pages and how many booklets to make and mm-hmm. things. I think it would be good, but it all it depends on the budget and everything. Yes. Mm-hmm. I did some uh, calculations. It's currently not the budget, <laughs> but we can make it. Okay. I mean, if we have, if we have just the, the rent and the lunch um, and the performances, I'm guessing that we will squeeze, we'll try and see what yeah. What, yes. what can happen? You yes. won't have any. You won't have T-shirts this time. So if we don't have T-shirts and we have these pamphlets at the event it's instead, I think that, that would be good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For the um, for the journal, like we've been talking about it a little bit in terms of what could be printed for the um, for the event, and yeah, I think there are many different options of what we could do. Like obviously, one of them would be printing the entire first issue but that's very very cost heavy um and i think would add like a significant amount to to the budget if this is incorporated into the event budget so uh in lieu of that there are also other options including like we could we could print like promotional material to even just you know get people to know that the journal is online like where they can find articles that kind of thing which would be probably like the the most cost-effective way of promoting the journal. Um, another option is we could consider like printing like docs, for instance, essay on Winston, um, like just that one to kind of give people a taste also like what the journal will be producing, the kinds of thinking um, that people could expect from avant-garde. But yeah, there, there are many different options. I feel like printing an entire first issue though is like, it's a very, it's a very big um, endeavor both uh, Planning-wise and execution-wise, but also financially. So yeah. we want to be, I think, conscious okay. of that too. Okay. okay. So we'll, we'll, you know, we could work that in. So, and I, I think, I think the two go so naturally together. Yeah, right. uh, a symposium on science and revolution, yeah. 
and they do go together. And science is not a bad word as the postmodernists and uh, you know the race theorists and the feminists and you know all of that. Science is not a bad word, and it is indispensable for the type of change that the American people are calling for, and I'm building on what Eddie was just saying. There is no two ways about it. And to frankly understand more profoundly, more deeply, what we mean when we talk about a fourth American revolution. You know, all of this uh, that we talk about and concepts that we think about and think through have to be uh, grounded in scientific and, and really mature thinking. And uh, I think the other thing that we end, well, the, the whole thing is very optimistic, including ending with youth and children and what, and pedagogy and what can children and youth know and what, how do we infuse science into their lives and yada, 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 yada. This is, so it's, uh, uh, but we, I think we can pull it off. Mm -hmm. I think I like this idea though. I like the idea of printing one or two articles yeah. and then saying that, okay, you can find the rest here. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that would be more cost effective. I do. And I don't think there's anything wrong with an online journal. Yeah. I mean, most journals are online these days. Yeah. I mean, you know, the journal will have a long life ahead of it. And yeah. so we can also. Yeah. Yeah. In the future, you know, we can consider yeah. more like physical manifestations. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, we meet every Tuesday. We have to work out these details of the GoFundMe. We need to start that as soon. And how we're going to promote it, how we're going to advertise it, and um, who are our audiences, and how do we mobilize because all of this is a matter of mobilizing people, encouraging people to come. And, you know, another thing in terms, you know, of um, a lot of working class people, they think that all of this is beyond them. And I, I disagree so much. And I think, I think what I'm going to, what I hope you all find acceptable in this paper is that here you had Henry Winston. He is an example of that kind of intellectual and scientist who emerges from the ordinary people. And if he could become this, then that possibility exists more widely. You don't have to go to a university to be a smart person, to be an intelligent revolutionary person. And all of all that's in the zeitgeist of activism that is really, I think when you look at it, is a put down of the ordinary person. Right. You know, the way they are conduct the way they conduct themselves, in fact. Oh no, I just wanted to add, I think um, even in terms of like why organize a symposium such mm -hmm. as this? Like what is the intent behind it and what does it hope to achieve? Um, I mean, you know, in the science reading group, we've been talking a lot about Einstein and yes. yeah, I really like 
there's this quote from Einstein in this essay called Physics and Reality, where he says, all that science is, is essentially the refinement of everyday thinking. Yeah. And then there's, but then there's also, you know, Didi Kosambi who kind of frames science as the cognition of necessity. Whereas, you know, freedom is framed as the recognition, right? Mm -hmm. The recognition of necessity. Um, and I feel like part of our assessment of the current moment right now as part of the free school is that what the ordinary, what the American people think and the way that they think has never been more important mm. because it's like, I also see us in some ways building on the legacy of something like the civil rights movement. And, but there's like a particular way of um, engaging in struggle, which I think there's, it's almost like we're trying to build on that tradition with these kinds of symposia, but part of the, it's almost like the kernel of the crisis, as we've said many times in preschool, is the crisis of the legitimacy of the ruling class, right? And what that poses to the people is that it is the ideology of the ruling elite, which is so distant from the people, but also what they're actively rejecting. And the question is, is then, well, then what comes Absolutely. after? What comes actually to overcome that ideology? And so in a lot of ways, it's like almost, I like the way that Eddie said it, part of what we're doing in free school is to make democratic the struggle of ideas. Yeah. To bring not just, well, but in a way where we're not just like, you know, creating like an open forum where people can just kind of be engaged in like an endless debate society. You know, mm -hmm. that's not the point. It's like, we come with a very concrete set of ideas, our own ideas, um, building on the way of like, almost like the mode of thinking that someone like Henry Winston exemplifies. And part of what we're saying is that, well, one, we are investigating not just the way that Henry Winston thought, but we are investigating the way that the American people think and can think um, in order to resolve this crisis on their own terms. Yeah. And I feel like in that sense, it's like, why we're doing this is not just because like we want to celebrate like an anniversary just for an arbitrary reason, but because it gives an opportunity for not just us, but for people like the people in Philadelphia, young people, all kinds of people to actually engage in that process of struggling for new ideas together. Um, and in that sense, yeah, like I'm very excited about it because yeah, like, I don't know, the science, the discussions on, on science have been very, like, really interesting to me um, over the past couple of weeks. And I feel like for us, it's just, we want to create a space in which the way that people think can kind of naturally come together and unfold and actually, um, you know, establish also greater unity amongst people in that way. Because I, I just feel like, yeah, like the it's almost like the question of thought, like the question of ideas, like they assume a central importance in this time because of the, yeah, basically like the ideological crisis of American society in the way that it begs for basically like new ways of thinking, which is also, you know, like what avant-garde is aspiring to capture and to advance in a lot of ways. But, yeah. yeah, I hear you, Jeremiah, and I feel like one of the, um, you know, one of the, the methods, I guess, that we're trying to, like, do something like that, and when you said that the thinking of the American people and what's on your mind is so important, 
uh, is in kind of giving this way to like Henry Winston things like the moral revolutionary poetry. Uh, yeah, yeah, but I guess to say right now is like a time where like the question of like the American civilization is on the table. So I guess um, to say that like the in a way to give like the thinking of black proletarian imaginary, mm -hmm. I guess to America, because that is something that like comes out of America. So like setting to the task of how do we make this into like a modern, uh, something modern to like take us forward, right? You know, I think that in history, because even the question of what is that is kind of difficult to answer. But, you know, if you go to history, you can see like, um, you know, things that have been created, like Sorrow Song, you can see, you know, this great organization after uh, a struggle for reconstruction, you know, education, um, you know, democracy, things like that, peace. So in a way, letting that, um, bringing that, I guess, back into the consciousness of people and to say that, like, um, like it's capable for people to, uh, to think in this way. And I guess we're seeing that more and more too, you know, uh, as people break away from um, all the assumptions, because uh, I guess, uh, you know, America has the capacity of the people, you know, yeah. Yeah. I guess to propose in a way like a challenge. And, uh, oh my God. I, uh, I like the way you uh, said that uh, science is a refinement of everyday things. Yeah. Yeah. I have thought about science. <laughs> and, uh, Especially when you frame it as, oh, you know, people treat other normal people as if they're incapable of, of advancing. And people might have been taught to be adverse to, let's say, abstract thinking or uh, things of that nature. But really, I, I view it as you want to make something general or part of a greater whole as opposed to like your experience is just itself like all your experience is part of a greater whole mm -hmm. and it's connected to other people and you can think about it in totality and then uh really it's one side of like you know a, a great a, a greater part uh and that can be called abstract thinking in mm -hmm. some ways but it's i think it's still uh, you know grounded in, in life and, and I'm not saying it's it's trivial. It, it can be hard, but it's not anything that's uh, above uh, uh, our capabilities. Mm -hmm. And then uh, in a kind of format where where we have such a uh, rich discussion in a, in a in a round table, that uh, greater whole that we have to conceptualize that we conceptualize can I guess using Hegel's words, greater ascent to the concrete by <laughs> connecting it back to. Uh, you know our original experiences. Uh, so you know, I'm I'm very excited about the roundtable. Now I hope everyone is uh, almost aggressive in trying to participate. <laughs> if you don't mind, Shantanu, can I read uh, this? Uh, 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 this I have to tell you guys has been a. Uh, how do you say, a vocation of agony writing this, because it is um, an attempt to give foundation and grounding to what we're trying to think through about this. So, you know, it's a little too long. Um, 
Forgive me. It's entitled oh, Science, the Black Proletariat and Revolution. <laughs> the 50th anniversary of Henry Winston Strategy for Black Agenda. This essay celebrates the 50th anniversary of the publication of Henry Winston's Strategy for Black Agenda, a critique of new theories of liberation in the United States and Africa, a classic in the scientific investigation of the black and working class struggles in the United States. Along with its companion work, Race, Class, and Black Liberation, we have the core of his scientific work. Winston writes as a committed Marxist-Leninist and chairman of the Communist Party of the United States. For him, Marxism-Leninism was a science of sciences, in a similar way to Hegel, the way Hegel saw philosophy as a science of sciences. Therefore, this tribute is more than a 50th anniversary celebration of strategy. It is, in the end, an investigation of the intellect and scientific mind that produced it. Strategy is a work of creative Marxism. It is grounded in the works of Marx, Lenin, and the scientific discoveries of W.E.B. Du Bois. I explore Winston's scientific method both through Winston's writing and my almost 15 years working very closely with him. It is his working out complicated questions of philosophical method, the relationship between the general theoretic and the concrete and specific, and how theory and practice interconnect, and how all of this is paramount to understanding the world. For him, making science practical and applying it to the struggles of working people and the and oppressed groups gives it a human and revolutionary essence. For him, connecting science to the struggle of working people would help build unity among them. In the end, this is a first attempt to probe the deep structures of Winston's mind. Winston was an exceptional figure in the revolutionary and communist history of the United States. He was also an important figure in the world communist, anti-colonial, and peace movements. He was a scientist imbued with a unique proletarian imagination. His commitment to materialism and dialectics was joined to his life world. Being brought up under Jim Crow laws and the sharecropping economy produced an imaginary that connected his life to the black proletariat, producing what I'm calling a black proletarian imaginary. This black proletariat imaginary anchored and enriched the scientific apparatus that informed his engagement with the objective world. This imaginary drove his quest to know the world and increasingly drove him to Marxism-Leninism. As such, his mind ultimately sought to know the world and how to change it through knowledge, engaging regions of thought, which included epistemology, ideology, dialectical logic, political science, and sociology. He rejected the dogmatism inherent to pure abstract thinking and the general and nebulous phrases that accompany it. 
He was predisposed to a creativity and intuitiveness, similar to what we, what might be found in musicians like Thelonious Monk or John Coltrane, or writers like James Baldwin, or, or, or artists like Buford Delaney, Barbara Bullock, and Serafina Harris. Winston was born in 1911 in Hattiesburg in the Black Belt of Mississippi. Mississippi was the poorest and most repressive state in the nation. He grew up around former slaves. The scourge of racial terror visited his family as an uncle was lynched. He knew suffocating poverty that was so intense he breathed, smelled, and literally tasted it. He felt it in his bones. The Great Depression of the 1930s only deepened an already intense situation produced by the super exploitation of the black proletariat. His family moved to Kansas City, Missouri, seeking to escape these harsh conditions. Um, the Great Depression was catastrophic for black folk and the entire working class. He joined the unemployed councils in Missouri, side by side with youth who were in a similar situation to his and who wished to change the world through struggle, he sought to figure out what produced this economic depression. He met members of the Young Communist League where he began to discuss why the capitalist system worldwide had collapsed and what was the future for young people and whether there was a future under capitalism. He, along with his friends, concluded there was not. He joined the Young Communist League and quickly rose to become its organizational secretary. He fought in World War II against fascism and for democracy and to defend the Soviet Union. He was arrested after World War II under the Smith Act and served six of an eight-year sentence in Terre Haute Federal Penitentiary. Because of intentional prison neglect, he lost his sight in prison. Emerging from prison in 1961, he proclaimed he had lost his sight, but not his vision. This was his declaration that he would continue to fight for democracy, peace, and socialism. However, he resumed his leadership of the Communist Party at the moment when the Black Freedom Movement was reshaping the nation. A third American revolution was underway. Strategy for Black Agenda is a defense of this revolution and its main leaders, in particular Martin Luther King. Subsection, science is indispensable, as indispensable to struggle. Science is indispensability to struggle. Understanding that Winston sought to discover the truth scientifically helps to locate his theorizing and how he lays the groundwork for a larger yet incomplete theory of the specifics of the US class, democratic, and anti-racist struggles. His work elevates the theory of revolutionary change to more complex and at the same time more concrete levels. In Winston's work, rather than empty theory which predisposes thought to dogmatism, we have a movement to the concrete and the actual. As such, his work seeks to achieve greater understanding of working people and the class struggle. His work focuses upon the emerging concrete, the new, and seeks out revolutionary possibilities inherent to the new. For Winston, science was indispensable. 
uh, to revolutionary theory and change. He referred regularly to Marxism, Leninism, if I repeat myself, be patient with me, uh, as revolutionary science. For him, the foundation of Marxism, Leninism was dialectical materialism, and thus it was the core of Winston's approach to knowing the world. He viewed it moreover as a method that generalized the achievements of natural and social science. He viewed science as more than an observational enterprise, but as an active engagement with the world, active in two ways. First, the connections to the actions and agencies of working people and the racially and nationally oppressed, but also in the constant development of and generalization upon the most advanced discoveries of knowledge. Winston situated his approach to the relationship between science and the objective world in the words of Frederick Engels. Freedom is the recognition of necessity. In other words, freedom is anchored to an understanding of the law-like movement of history and society. The engine of the patterns of social and historical movement is contradiction, which are inherent in all things. This is moreover a recognition that the material world is the foundation of unity and interconnection of all things. However, the mode of the existence of the world is dialectical, which, to, which is to say, all things including human socio-historical relationships and human consciousness exist in a constant state of movement and development. These interconnections and these developments, these laws, are what he tirelessly sought to understand. As example of this is how he went about explaining the dual yet interconnected systems of capitalist exploitation and racial oppression. To illustrate their unity, he references Marx and Frederick Douglass during the anti-slavery struggle and Lenin and Du Bois during the state monopoly imperialist stages of capitalism. Each, Winston argued, pursued scientific approaches based upon materialism. For him, understanding the interconnectedness of these thinkers is a way to explain the interconnection of the systems of exploitation of labor and, and the racist system. Together, they make up the capitalist mode of production. These unusual combinations capitalist exploitation and racial oppression, show how he sought to advance science beyond the coffins of dogma. In acknowledging the dual systems, Winston logically asserted and theoretically justified the centrality of the struggle for black liberation to the class struggle and the struggle for democracy and socialism. The concept of centrality of black liberation is, is important and an advancement upon revolutionary social science. He sees a special role for black folk in the development of capitalism in the US and to the liberation of the working class from exploitation. Yet more specifically, he viewed the centrality to ultimately be the centrality of the black proletariat. However, the centrality of the black proletariat operated as an objective gravitational pull attracting the white and black workers towards one another. That which interrupts this mutual pull of gravity is ideology and consciousness. 
Whether white workers can see their inevitable connection with black workers is the, is the question. At another level, it is apparent the general theory of capitalist development, as reflected in Marx's Das Capital and Lenin's imperialism, high stage of capitalism, and Du Bois and Douglas, who manifested the special or specific theory of capitalist development in the context of the United States. The special theory gives anchorage and application and concreteness to the general theory. In this regard, we see in the thinking of Winston what Marx called ascending or rising to the concrete. Um, um, in the end, Winston saw this centrality as a law of the development of the specific or concrete forms of the class struggle in the U.S. Though so not, uh, excuse me. Sorry about that. Okay. Though not stated in his work, it seems that its logic suggests that in the throes of the systemic mixture of race and class, there was emerging not just an oppressed racial and national group, but a civilization in potentiality. This civilization of working people could become the basis of a new American civilization of freedom and, and peace composed of the working people. The music, art, philosophical, and religious developments all pointed to what Du Bois called a civilization in potentiality. Subsection, the trilectics of science, the black proletariat, and revolution. Winston agreed. He agreed with Frederick Engels, I'm just saying. In other words, science is not confined to observation, but is a creative and messy enterprise that seeks the truth. Yet science must, he reasoned, recognize the laws of motion of reality. This acknowledgement liberates science from static dogma and pure abstraction. Winston moreover sought to apply science to the day-to-day -day issues of tactics and strategies, always connecting it to the struggle for unity against the monopoly capitalist class and their ideology. Winston's practice and method of science and theory is organized within a dialectical triad composed of three aspects. First, the scientific, rational, and empirical. Second, the black proletariat, imaginary, and intuition. And third, the revolutionary and moral imperatives. Subsection, the scientific rational dimension. Arguing that the revolutionary process must be connected to a scientific outlook, which must grasp the logic and trajectory of history and society, including it in its concrete forms, the rational dimension of thought is critical. This dimension operates through reason, setting boundaries such as space and time, the material character of the world, and dialectical logic. 
Winston appropriates the philosophical conclusions of Marx and Lenin. He rejects the positive, positivist construction of science and the pragmatist rejection of science as a method to achieve the truth. The black proletarian imaginary. There, however, is a second, and as it turns out, a, sig a significant dimension, the imaginary and intuitive. It sometimes appears to be, and perhaps is, the opposite to science, the scientific and rational. It is non-rational and is the artistic and imaginative dimension of knowing and discovery. It produces leaps in theory, challenging previous theoretical formulations with new, often novel insights. These leaps can come off as eruptions and disruptions of normal assumptions. They are produced by taking epistemic stances far removed from normal thinking. It is like going to the margins of thought and science to come up with new theoretical syntheses to explain new conditions. Albert Einstein understood the intuitive as essential to new insights and new knowledge. He insisted that, quote, without sinning against reason, we could never arrive at any conclusions. In Einstein's debate with theorists of quantum physics, he said what, what they lacked, what they lacked, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, what, what, what they lacked was an imaginary and intuition. In Winston's case, the black proletariat imaginary is driven by the necessity to understand the concrete realities of black folk and the black proletariat, and hence the urge to rise to levels of concrete knowledge. An example is Du Bois's discovery of the black proletariat as a social and historically constituted class category different from yet not separated from the working class as a whole. When he wrote Black Reconstruction in America, the idea of the black proletariat as a proletariat, albeit enslaved, shattered most images of the working class and the past of a class struggle. Seeking to apply theories to new stages in social development and to, and to new ideological challenges, Du Bois discovers a new social category the black proletariat that explained both the concrete complexities of the class struggle in the US and developed radical theorizing concerning revolutionary change. Also, Du Bois introduced racial oppression as necessary to understanding the capitalist mode of production. Du Bois's thinking carried tremendous weight for Winston based upon it he could see the central role of the black proletariat, uh, the central role of the black proletariat. For Du Bois to arrive at this new understanding of the working class in the US and the nature of the struggle for democracy and radical change meant going beyond scientific and rational uh, constructions and imagining a new category 
This was an imaginative and intuitive leap on Du Bois's part that in the end advanced scientific knowledge. Winston's deployment of the black proletariat imaginary. Winston's scientific practices, his critiques of new and older theories in the process discovered new dynamics of the democratic and class struggle. This is not special to Du Bois or Winston. And then I say Albert Einstein did the same thing, but I'd say that before. Winston, in essence, bends Marxist categories, deploying Du Bois's scientific categories and empirical studies to achieve a new scientific synthesis, which is necessary for understanding the con con to understanding concrete U.S. history. In particular, it is necessary to explain the special oppression of black people, the special super exploitation of black labor, and how all of this fits into the struggle against United States imperialism. The extraordinary thing about Winston's method is the imaginary is organic to who he was. Mm -hmm. He bends science to a special empathy for working people and their suffering. This imagination arises from the life world of the black proletariat and slavery. Winston knew this world and found in it a source of knowledge and creativity. Winston's black proletarian imaginary unsettles and challenges the world of knowledge and many Marxist assumptions. This is the existential and lived world dimension of scientific practice. Winston being a black man, a person who grew up in the shadow of slavery under conditions of inhuman poverty and degradation, seeing unimaginable suffering, frames the human essence of his approach to knowledge and science. In other words, the totality of knowledge and his approach to theory, philosophy, and science are filtered through his black proletarian life world. This life experience, part of the deep structure of his mind and thinking, became the imaginative and intuitive filter through which he knew the world. It must be emphasized that this gave to his thinking a creativity and a urge to understand concrete social reality in creative ways. We discover in Winston the fact that the black proletarian imaginary is necessary and indispensable part of revolutionary science and what I'm trying to get at, if nowhere else in the world. This is indispensable for social scientific understanding of American history, this imaginary. Mm -hmm. um, the black proletarian imaginary enriches the life world of science and equips it with an existential and phenomenological dimension not present in the rational, rational and normal scientific. Ultimately, this more holistic approach to scientific knowledge forces it away from positivism and dogmatism. This dimension unsettles purely rational construals of science. It upsets what is believed to be normal, yet it 
yet when properly deployed, produces the possibility of new knowledge. We witness this creativity in the works, as I said before, Polonius Monk and John Coltrane, the writings of James Baldwin, the artistic work of Buford <coughs> Delaney, Jacob Lawrence, Barbara Bullock, or Serafina Harris. Winston and the Revolutionary and Moral Imperative. The third dimension is the revolutionary moral imperative is a part of scientific knowledge. That higher purpose of science for Winston is revolutionary change, which compels the science away from the scientists, away from the status quo, to, towards the moral imperative to act, and not for one's own interest, but in the interest of humanity. Moreover, the revolutionary is not merely bound to theory, science, and philosophy in order to know the world, but to a revolutionary and moral imperative to change the world, to transform it, and bring into being a new world. The black proletariat imaginary, along with the, moral, the revolutionary and moral imperative, further pushes science and the rational towards the purpose for which science and knowledge must exist, humanity. Time, history, and the Black Proletarian Agency. I want to thank Blaze for his post on Facebook. Finally, a word about history. It cannot be said enough. Du Bois's Black Reconstruction is a great and transgressive historical work designed as a study of socio-historical time. Time is a measure of movement. Historical time is a measure of the velocity of social and historical change rooted in the struggle of human beings. In this respect, it can be viewed as a measure of the maturity of human agency and consciousness. It, in essence, measures movement. Time is concrete and therefore embedded in human social relationships. Understanding time in this concrete ways informs our and Winston's understanding of the geography of struggle and what are appropriate strategies and tactics. In a nuanced critique of Huey P. Newton, understanding of the relationship of time to revolutionary tactics, Winston introduces a scientific understanding of time and revolutionary agency. With Newton and Winston, we have opposing theories of time, tactics, and when the people will be ready for revolutionary action. Winston says that Newton's idea that certain tactics have to await the future or the right time is a way of saying we must passively wait for time, which is to say that time is disconnected from actual material relations of classes and oppressed groups. For Winston, time is part of the material world and thus a part of human relationships. Thus the actions of human beings and of classes determine social time. Humans can both make time through their actions and we can know time through scientific observation. Human social relations have time embedded in them, yet human agency determines time especially its velocity, its speed. At the end, Winston concludes that Newton's notion of time and the future time of revolutionary action is rooted in a fantasy, a fiction about when and how to act, 
leading to the justification of political passivity and forms of black capitalism in the now time. In the name of waiting for, for a revolutionary time for revolutionary action. For Winston, this is a distorted understanding of current time and the future. Subsection neo-colonialism and the scientific understanding of imperialism. Africa for Winston is central to explaining the modern world. Both the rise of capitalism as a system and the imperialist or general crisis stage of capitalism. Hence, in the imperialist stage and after independence for most African nations in the 1960s, neo-colonialism plays a strategic function in the consolidation of capitalism as a world system. He recognized the fundamental role of Africa's national liberation struggles to the class and anti-racist struggles in the United States that the US working class and the black proletariat in particular could move forward to the extent that they politically understood Africa's positioning in the world. This understanding elevates class consciousness among US workers to anti-imperialist and anti-racist consciousness, a high level of political and ideological clarity. However, Imperialism is reproduced to the extent that the labor and mineral wealth of Africa remains in the grip of the West. In other words, there's hardly an anti-imperialist struggle that is not equally a struggle against neo-colonialism in Africa. Winston concludes that Maoism, the political and theoretical ideas of Mao Zedong, leader of the Chinese revolution, and neo-pan-Africanism, a capturing of the Pan-African movement for aims completely different from Du Bois's ideologically and politically operate to justify and uphold neo-colonialism. Maoism and neo-Pan-Africanism, by claiming that the Soviet Union, a vital ally to African nations and liberation movements, was an imperialist nation and thus anti-African provided ideological aid and comfort to actual imperialist nations and to their system of neo-colonialism, which was fortified by financial, economic, political, and military institutions of the West. He notes that Maoism and neo-pan-Africanism deploy what he calls a skin strategy, a strategy which says allies and enemies are defined by their skin color. Skin strategy thinking and analysis, rather than undermining neo-colonialism and imperialism and, 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 and imperialism, uh, fortifies it and reinscribes the color line on a world scale. Winston insists Maoism and Pan-Africanism were enemies of the oppressed. Du Bois, Lenin's synthesis, a new region of science. An extraordinary part of Winston's theorizing was his suggestion that Lenin and Du Bois thought along parallel lines. Winston, in a sense, opens up a new region of thought, a possible Du Bois-Lenin synthesis, which links the categories and assumptions of Du Bois's work with Lenin's. This synthesis creates a new, I need to add it, creates a new region of scientific thought. It joins in unique ways 
the more general scientific achievements of Lenin and Marx is theorizing with the special theories and categories discovered by Du Bois, especially concerning the class struggle and the class race dialectic in the US. However, Du Bois foresaw a new Afro-Asiatic world configuration replacing the imperialist alliance based on Western domination. Du Bois saw a large revolutionary role in the movement to communism of Asian and African civilizations. This new region of thought, though not fully developed in Winston work, Winston's work, is part of the Free School Philosophy of Black Liberation's theoretical work. Du Bois thought anew about communism and located its immediate possibilities in Asia. The rise of Asian Africa would occur in the context of the crisis of the West, especially in the United States and the consequent crisis of ne neo-colonialism. The prerequisite for communism were Du Bois theorized, more readily grounded in the values of ancient Asian civilizations, especially ones that had socialist revolutions and established the democratic dictatorship of the proletariat. Du Bois thought creatively about questions such as forms of state power, including the dictatorship of the proletariat and the state of the entire people, and what is today called the civilization state. He thought in new, unprecedented ways about a new type of communism, quote as he said, a different kind of communism based on a new way of thinking and forms of state power and people's democracy rooted in Asian civilizational values. He creatively synthesized several modalities of social, scientific, philosophical, and, and historical investigation, comparing civilizations and their possibilities to achieve communism. These interrogations have meaning in the 21st century, a century where Asia will overtake the West and Africa is not, will not be far behind when the U.S. is confronted with domestic political instability and a rising crisis of government and bourgeois class rule. Du Bois's conclusions concerning communism reflected his characteristic optimism in spite of the Cold War domestic police state repression. And even as he was being indicted as an agent of a foreign nation, Winston looked increasingly to the East and Africa the so-called global South, to carry the weight of humanity in toppling Western and US imperialism. Henry Winston in the now time. This moment in history is very different from the moment in which Henry Winston produced strategy for a black agenda and other words. The crisis of the West and the US ruling elites are existential, producing, of making it, making the elite unable to rule in the old ways domestically or internationally. That having been said, Winston's work and his method of thought carry significance for this time. Especially important is his commitment to science as indispensable to revolutionary change. 
The example of this scientific practice, which joins three levels of thinking, the rational, the black proletarian imaginary, and the revolutionary imperative. His rethinking science and how, and how it is done. His method that rejects positive, positivism as a way to do science are all important as we go forward. Winston showing that strategy and tactics of struggle demands scientific analyses of the objective world and that the objective of science and strategy and tactics is freedom of working people from exploitation and all forms of oppression. Winston's commitment was to unite working people and all of the peace, democratic and socialist forces on a world scale because he was a scientist and a revolutionary. It is because he was a scientist and a revolutionary that we celebrate his strategy for a black agenda. Hold it, hold it, hold it. Oh, oh, this is. As our people struggle to make and secure their future, Winston is also important. His mess, mess, message for children and youth is there is a there is a sky, there is a future worth fighting for. Tomorrow is today. What must be will be decided now. We must recognize the fierce urgency of now. Hmm which means we must struggle hard to know the world and learn methods of scientific and research analysis that help us know it. Because we, and then of course I said, because he was a scientist, we celebrate him and the publication of Strategy for Black Agenda. My task was, I was assigned the task of kind of summarizing, laying a philosophical, theoretical basis for us going forward. Yeah. I think it was good. Um, one thing I would add is that instead of saying like necessarily that, because it is a black, you know, a black or whatever, but we kind of get into the, um, you talked about the, um, and one of the points, we talked about during the 70s and 80s, mm -hmm. you know, how there was an, you know, a connection to Africa. Yes. An example you could use is the, uh, you know, Munch used to talk about the uh, strike, you know, or you knew you when you first started the strikes, you know, that had longshoremen, you know, you would say you worked there for a year. So um, maybe, look, maybe kind of talking about that, um, uh, that you know, that ex you know, experience at, during that time. Um, because that's a natural connection because it's like Lucien Bell or Lucien Ball, or whatever the name But um, it's kind of like um, if you get in or if you get into that, like the experience and the, the, um, the concrete, you know, uh, and Robson talked about concrete, yeah, um, concrete thinking, that is. Um, and so if you kind of get into um, the uh, what are the, na the nature, or, or, or yeah, yeah, the nature of what was happening um, during that time? So I'm sure that was a, a really, excuse my French, a hell of an experience. Yeah. Um, and, and in so. fact, to tell you the truth, Jay, 
that is what will be teased out okay. in the panel. Okay. okay. I, exactly. I mean, I, yeah. No. 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 For the comp. For yeah. the symposium. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Definitely. Okay. Definitely. That concreteness. Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm. I'm really excited about the progression of watching a movie about Henry Winston's life and making all of these things very real anchored in this broad uh, framework of thinking. Uh, I think it's going to be very rich. And, uh, you know, uh, especially uh, uh, reading this right now, I think it's a modern and futuristic outlook that I think people are going to be really hungry for. With the elections, of, of I think uh, people start asking a lot of questions. They want to, people start evaluating uh, their lives, and really to even just understand this move, uh, this moment in time. I think we need to look back, starting in Winston's time, because I think that's when the present order was set in motion. I think you're right. And. Uh, the, the and now that it's falling apart, if you only look at what's going on right now, you're not you're not gonna fully understand. Um, and to even have uh, a way out, I think you need the science. The I guess the, the three threefold science uh, to uh, that that will uh, that we could, that is validated by explaining the past and the present to make a movement to the future. Uh, so I, 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 I really uh, uh, hope that uh, you know, with that. And, and that's where I really have to work more. You see, there was that, and that uniqueness thing, mm -hmm. because here's a man that grew up in the worst conditions imaginable. I mean, that poverty in Mississippi and, and lynchings and mm -hmm. all of that, mm -hmm. you know, that becomes a part of him, not just his thinking, a part of him. And, and you know, he, um, and so when he, see, Marxism, Leninism, or science, or any of this means something very different to him than to a person that didn't experience that. Mm -hmm. And he made, and I'm not making it clear enough, you know, um, that what he did and what he saw and he saw Lenin in a way that other people didn't. But then he was seeing Lenin, I gotta, and, and Michelle, I gotta put this in. He was looking at Lenin through the boys, yeah. which was transgressive already. I didn't put that, I didn't get that in there. Mm -hmm. To look at Lenin through the boys mm -hmm. rather than the boys through Lenin. Mm -hmm. Huge transgressive move which made, made him appear to be a, quote, revisionist and, and, and hard, to un, quote, hard to understand. And I think uh, this symposium will be the first time that Henry Winston is treated as a scientific thinker. Yeah, but what, kind, but what is science? Science, you know, so I just, I'm sorry. Oh, beautiful. Uh, and I like the way you put it, you know, growing up in Mississippi, at that time period, thrown into uh, a depth of uh, 
crisis then, I guess. And this another thing. You know, a lot of people went to jail under the Smith Act, but nobody was blinded in prison. But one guy, and you know, you're in your 40s or 50s, and your sight is taken away. Then what do you do? And he says, I lost my sight, but not my vision. You know, the struggle continues. It's, it's just so much, and I don't get it all. That's what I'm struggling to, to convey. That that suffering personally made him empathetic to suffering generally. And that the science of revolutionary change had to have an empathy, empathy with those who suffer. You know what I'm saying? And, and this is, and I'm talking too much, this is vastly different from uh, this you know, thing uh, that we have today where people uh, I, I, I'm discriminating against, you know, this, this current victimology thing. He's talking about a deep suffering. You know what I'm saying? And uh, that's what I'm trying to get. And it was not, it was not, he was not a cat that was trying to uh, seek anybody else's approval. He was trying to create something new. And he knew that it was necessary to create new science and new theory if there were to be a uni unity of the people to bring about revolutionary change in this country. Not in France, not in Germany, not even in China or India, but here. Uh, I want to ask, uh, what, what year was he born? He was born 1911. Okay, now, you know what's very significant? Not my father. My father was born in 1913. Yeah. Okay, and he didn't leave the South until he was 19. I bought this big, thick, oversized book that has over 200 pictures of black lynchings. And I'm going through the book and, I'm, and they tell you, and give you dates, and I'm even going to do it. They tell you where it was, you know, and you see all the white people looking up and like they're, you know, and all this kind of thing. And I'm going all through here. Then I come to a legend that was right in the area that my father lived in. And during the time that when he was there, and I was able to understand what he went through that he never talked about. This man, through his experience, gave a voice, not only a voice, but he used, used scientific methodology to understand and came up with concepts. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. and, and, and our, 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 our elders, had good intentions for not telling the details of all of that, but it was a major mistake because what they should have did was like the dude mm -hmm. and telling the exact nature of it over and over again. Right, right. So that we understand that. Exactly. And he never mentioned a word. Mm -hmm. So this is the horror that black people are um, talking about. 
And I speak dramatically, but I'm not angry. I'm not angry. Right, right, right. <laughs> but I'm just saying, whoa. Yeah. So, you know, that's all I see. Yeah. What I'm trying to establish, and I don't know what I did adequately, that there is no science of revolutionary change without that black proletarian imaginary. And that black proletarian ima imaginary fuels a level of consciousness seen nowhere else in the society or in the working class, which then translates into the black proletariat as central, but in the vanguard of the entire working class. It's consciousness. You know what I'm saying? And uh, and Winston, and I got, you know, we'll, we'll work it out, even if in, the, in his panels and stuff, by, and he, 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 he neither, he didn't talk about himself and his own suffering, what he had seen a lot, but he would talk about what you, precisely what you said, what you said through, not talking about himself, but talking about black folk. That was always black folk. Mm -hmm. You'd always black folk, you know, and um, he would always impress upon party members, upon general public, black folk. Just like the boys, black folk. And so then, you know, his, his move to Africa, this understanding of neo-colonialism and the struggle against it and how it must impact the struggle in this country, you know what I'm saying, was huge. And these formulations, and I've got to find a way you don't find it anywhere else in the world communist movement. So then you would get all of these leaders of African liberation movements flocking to him. I'm talking about like the Amilcar Cabral's, the um, uh, uh, O.R. Tombos of South of the ANC and, and all of these leaders, they saw in him not only a communist, but a man of deep empathy. And that made all, so you can claim anything, you can say anything, but people judge you for what, what they feel from you. And, and it was that life world combined with science and Marxism and dialectics and the whole nine that made him this special figure. And he saw what few others in the Communist Party or in the left movement saw, you know? And um, even though, you know, I'll just say as a younger person, I could not articulate what I've said now. I, we all knew that he understood us in, in, in special ways. He, he was, Empathetic. I mean, it was it was unbelievable, but it, it, it related back to his own life, world, and experience. But then it related to you had to put those other other elements in the, the scientific, rational, and the revolution. And you put that together, you're looking at somebody that's saying it's like a John Coltrane. It's like you know, it's that. It's like you know. Um, 
Baldwin, but it's they represent that same thing, that imaginary, that intuitiveness, that, but see, it's coming from a life, a life. You know what I'm saying? We see your uncle lynched, you know, you living around people that were slaves, you know, and then, and, and you don't catch nothing but a heartbreak, that depression hits. It's, you, you know what I'm saying? That's what I'm trying to say. And I'm not making, that was him, really. I just don't have the, the words to put it right completely. But that's what I was trying to get at. Imaginary, imaginary or it's not an object? Mm -hmm. Hold on. Okay. Yeah, well, um, uh, I wanted to get back to the new parts of what you were saying. I think it's really becoming clear as we talk about it more. But you know, this question of like what, like how you say science as like you know, science as messy, mm -hmm. and the objective of science being to rise to the concrete. Yeah. I'm thinking about it because I think this like you know this is a complicated argument and. Like, you know, because on the one hand, we are talking about the inner harmony in science mm -hmm. and the, like, you know, the struggle to find the inner harmony in science. And at the same time, we're talking about, you know, rising against the concrete, like rising to the concrete, which can be a messy enterprise. And um, I think from like, you know, from um, your, like what you were reading out from your essay, I think it really comes out <laughs> that we saw this as the like the aim of science and at um in order for science to reach that aim at every stage at every revolutionary stage there is a break in the logic uh -huh. and in, like it, it it's a movement towards a new logic that you know winston is constantly talking about i was thinking about you know how he talks about the idea of a strategic breakthrough and you know, he says uh i mean he talks about the idea that uh, like at every point in like in the history of you know the US, uh, like the goal of of capitalism has been has always been fascism, and he talks about the need or you know the opportunity for a strategic breakthrough mm -hmm. at in a certain um you know at uh, at certain moments in history you have a you have this opportunity to have a breakthrough to a different stage in humanity. That's what he's working towards. And I think this is like from your essay, I think this comes out that there is a direct um, like an analogy of that to the movement in science, to the transition in science, that you know, there is a, a break from the logic of science of each period and you know, like going forward, uh, like a new logic, a new stage in science comes about. And the other thing I was thinking was that, you know, this, uh, um, I think you were saying, um, like this idea that, you know, Western rejects the positivist um, capture of science, as well as the pragmatist rejection. I mean, I think that's something, uh, yeah, I was saying, I think it's something really deep and I'm trying to work out. Uh, but I think positivism ultimately is an anti-human philosophy because like, it essentially denies the, the human agency to know what is not yet known, you know, like towards knowledge. And this is what at every stage, I mean, this is what we have been talking about for a while in the science reading group, um, you know, because I think it started for like a month or so back because we were talking about how Du Bois talks about positivism in sociology hesitant and how, you know, how like in the, um, in the, um, in, in, you know, 20th century quantum mechanics and so on, um, how, um, how positivism had captured 
the interpretation, the epistemological interpretation of science. Mm -hmm. And I think the connection between the two is becoming clear because if, like you know, in the 1800s, positivism was uh, like, you know, it, it was really uh, like more of a dogmatic or a mechanical materialism. I mean, where you talk of like, you know, where your understanding of science is that, you know, what you observe is the entirety of objective reality. And in the 1900s with quantum mechanics, it, it goes to the other extreme. It, it goes towards the idealism that since you don't observe, like, you know, since you do, like, you know, with the advent of the statistical laws of quantum mechanics, since you observe the, uh, like, you know, uh, since you observe these uh, like different uh, aspects of reality based on your reference frame, and that's why it essentially again denies objective reality. But ultimately, what it's saying at, at every time is that science cannot be further or knowledge cannot be further. And I think what's coming clear from uh, like in your essay is is that Novinson saw this. He he saw that. Science, even like social science, can be weaponized in this way. It can be weaponized by the ruling class, um, you know, in a way similar to how science has always been weaponized at every stage, like you know, by capturing, like you know, by it being captured by the ruling class. And therefore, I'm thinking of the black proletariat imaginary as like the way for, like like you know, the way out of this capture, like this capture of logic. Yeah, I mean that's yeah to start off. That's what I was thinking. Um, yeah. I think the way that you were describing Winston's life just now, and I don't know, it just really touched me for one thing, but it also reminded me of like King's The Dimensions of a Complete yeah. Life. Yeah. Like, what does it mean to actually have, like, live a complete life and to be able to use that? in like furnishing something for society and for the future and i don't think that like the three basically like the scientific rational the black proletarian imaginary and like the revolutionary moral imperative it's not that they map on directly to the three dimensions or anything like that but there's something very like significant in it for me i think because it's sort of like you start from the individual you're trying to understand like what you're capable of or like what you're going to do in this life. And that kind of reminded me of what Shimbarto was saying about positivism or quantum mechanics where what you observe becomes your reality. But yeah. then but then the black proletarian imaginary is so deep because it goes much further than that. Like basically it's saying that actually there is a social component to all of this. And in some ways like it's a socialized, but it's like also more complete because it comes out of the experience of many and yeah and i think like i'm still really thinking a lot more about this black proletarian imaginary but something about like the way that you described like leaps or like novel insights but it's like you're able to make a break from that first like existing paradigm or whatever to make it much fuller and to actually like make it advance and but then yet like that still needs to be grounded by like the moral imperative and I feel like for me, like the moral imperative does kind of feel like God, but all this to say that like, I don't think it's really so much that they're like three, you know, separate categories because actually it's science that provides the framework of categories in the first place. But I think it's the way that like somebody was saying that actually science is like the first step, but it's not enough. 
like it's what you need as like a baseline but it's by no means enough it's only the beginning to be able to reach for more and i think yeah i think i'm still really trying to better understand the black proletarian imaginary like it's a little bit I think just it's a new term so I'm still like floating around a lot of it but I think it's a really beautiful concept yeah and yeah I think it also fits in with a lot of things that in preschool we have been talking about for a long time like the jazz like the sorrow songs or like even Du Boisian sociology and all of that I think comes out of something which is not anti-science but is something that is sort of like unique so yeah, yeah, I just thought it was a really impressive article. And, yeah. yeah. See, I think, see, um, and maybe see this this idea of the rational scientific or the scientific rap. In fact, I think, and I, I should say, that is an incomplete construal of science. Yeah. Because without these other two. It's not a complete idea of science, mm-hmm. not a complete practice of science. Mm-hmm. And to complete, to have a complete practice, especially of revolutionary science, of science for revolution, you need, especially in the United States, you need, you need that um, imaginary, all of that, you know, the sorrow songs, the jazz, you know, blues. You know, all of that. Um, Because it made, it allowed Winston to understand the language of the most oppressed and most exploited. And just like Ransom said, most of those people never talked about it. You know, I know they never talked about it in my family. Yeah. It was like, you know, let's keep it. I mean, and probably the trauma and suffering was so great uh, they didn't want to talk about it. But then, but then it took, you know, someone. I think that's what Winston was working out, and he he would not abandon the black proletarian <laughs> imaginary in the name of Marxism. You know, like like you got you got a lot of you know. Black folk, black yeah. intellectuals, yeah. and white intellectuals who say to black people, "Well, you're not completely a Marxist because you're X, Y, Z." You know what I'm saying? This kind of Marxism mm-hmm. that is made and designed for white people. Right. And if you're going to be a Marxist, you got to be with white people. And so Winston <laughs> upsets that whole. Uh, equation. Yeah, like when Chomsky was saying that he can't stand to listen to King because yeah. it's like an attack He's on like, the No, but I think that's oh, really yeah. the <laughs> distinction. Like that's exactly how far the purely rational yes, can get you. And it's only to there. Yes. But then I think, yeah, like with King, like you get the black proletarian yeah, imaginary, you get the moral imperative. Right. And I feel like that's more of the completeness. Because I think even yeah, I think it's to say that science actually has much greater possibilities Absolutely. than the purely rational would like confine it to. And I feel like that's also what Einstein in some ways was saying. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to respond to what Shambhala was saying. Mm-hmm. It also made me realize that 
I think for people like Einstein and Winston, it was clear that this counter-revolutionary move to basically say this is as far as we go and we can go no further is always a possibility. And you have to act, you have to basically leverage science and the scientific method to actively struggle against the always real possibility that there's going to be a counter-revolution mm -hmm. and, and a breakage or a stoppage of you know moving forward. And this is also why I really appreciated the way you talked about time in this essay. And you know, this is a question that we think about a lot, you know, even with your Baldwin or you know, just even Dotus or all of that, you're thinking of okay, this is a significant time. There is a special significance of this particular time because something is about something new is about to come forth or birth. Right. But it's a difficult concept to explain why exactly the time is significant or what it, what it, it is. And so then if you sort of see it scientifically, you know, the way you were talking about Winston looking at time is not separate from the material world, but mm -hmm. something that has a dialectical relationship mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. society and human social relationships mm -hmm. that actually helps explain you know, the the way you're supposed to think of time as a category. So you're not just saying that, oh, this time is just a thing in itself, but it's also something that you have the ability to affect by your actions. Mm -hmm. But then time also produces what actions are possible. Uh -huh. You know, it's just, I don't know how to say it right well, but I feel like that kind of thinking or introdu introduction of that kind of dialectical thinking to the scientific method itself also helps you sort of ward off these counter-revolutionary uh, mm -hmm. measures. Because this was also what Einstein, I mean, this is what we read in Science Reading Book this week, mm -hmm. where Einstein was basically like, you know, his entire thing about special relativity was basically to say, no, we're not going to, space-time does not exist outside of material reality. It's something that's interconnected. So you can only talk about things, reality, but then, you know, things in relationship to one another. So, I mean, I'm just starting to appreciate how similar these concepts are. And because I'm, it's, I'm realizing it and it's blowing my mind, I'm also realizing how intentional the separation of these ideas have been in our view, you know. Because if you separate those ideas, you sort of incapacitate people to make sense of all of this as part of you know larger truth or a larger movement mm -hmm. towards truth. Um, yeah, I just want yeah. Yeah, I guess it's the um, with the question of the rational and the limitations of the rational, the effects or almost the symptoms of a rational framework. Because my question to that was how is the black imaginary um affected by a rational framework or mm -hmm. the black imaginary applied to the rational framework those are two different things mm -hmm. meaning that the rational um ha has to include like the body of the 19th 18th century of rational thinkers and philosophy yes. and things like that and what that would mean is something that you know i don't know very much about but I can also assume that in the opposite, um, the Black imaginary using the rational is also creating something different. Um, and that also would connect 
and mean that the rational has that also and more expanded. Like you can't just say that there is solely the European thinkers in the rational if the black imaginary is affected or affecting the rational um, body of thought. But then the second thing um, with Henry Winston and also kind of in tandem with what we're saying is what is the way out? Um, and how does Henry Winston also provide a, as a model in a, in a, in a sense? But, you know, the movement from one epoch to the next, that's also what you're um, talking about in the piece, because we are shifting from the world um, of like the West to the age of humanity or whatever, which way we said it, I forget which way we said that phrase, that age of humanity, new epoch. Um, and then, uh, yeah, the new ways of thinking, the new levels of human consciousness that are possible um, is ultimately enlarged, expanded, um, because when you also talk about the point, there's something in the new human being, there's something that you had said that reminded me about the civil rights movement and Diane Nash, you know, and nonviolent strategy. They also became new human beings yeah. in the process of struggle. Um, and what Henry Winston is, and this reminds me of a similar conversation of Robeson, what of an intellect, what of the consciousness that, you know, brings up the question of what, what is the, like, what is the quality, the human quality, um, that we are now in charge of taking responsibility for and also carrying into um, a new epoch. I mean, that's what's on the table. Yeah. Well, in talking about the Black imaginary, real quick, um, when you talk about sorrow songs and beauty, the Amalara, when we talk about emotion, let us remember because it's very easy within a Western, mm -hmm. <laughs> whatever you want to call it, <laughs> to not understand, that encourage a misunderstand and a negative view of quote unquote emotion. Mm -hmm. The word emotion is an abbreviation for energy motion. That's how we move by energy. Mm -hmm. And that is so significant. And it does not make obsolete or unfunctional, and it's not in contradiction to, to logic no, no, and to, you see, that's right. so, and this man was telling, well, whatever. It's very important. See, you know, we hear a lot of talk of Eurocentrism, Afrocentrism, uh, as just general nebulous phrases and concepts. The question is, indeed, with the life world of Winston, 
uh, is that experience not an African experience? Hmm. Enslavement, transatlantic, you know, yada, 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 yada. And so <clears throat> what is reason and logic without the human? It's dogma. And that's part of what I was trying to get at. And the, the humanizing of all of this and getting <clears throat> all of it to the human purpose of freedom. And that's, you know, that, that's why it gets a little bit emotional for me. And I agree with this epoch because children and youth are going to come up, are coming up in a different epoch. How quickly they can catch up to the epoch in this kind. Everything is thrown at them to make sure that they don't catch up to the epoch. Just to add briefly, um, because it was during the 10th anniversary where you had written out how slavery um, had also shifted the or expanded the human experience in a way. Mm -hmm. Like we were talking about how people knew each other in a different way during in that same time. Do you remember what I'm talking about? No. Not quite. But I. Um, um, Maybe it was just because of the. Oh, God, I'm sorry. Do you remember what I'm saying? I think, you know, the idea of the, of the transatlantic slave trade creating a new epoch in human history. Right. So, yeah, yeah but like, it's in a similar vein, like the. Uh, because, uh, or in that, um, that point that you're making that the. What is known to human to the human being? Um, so what is known? What is known also became larger, became more expanded. What is known to be seen yeah. about the world, like yeah, yeah. I think, in the similar oh, yeah, yeah, point, yeah, yeah, like yeah. the mm -hmm. people knew each other in different ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And this and, is very interesting. Yeah, what is known and people knowing one another. This epoch of world capitalism, mm. with all that that is wrong, also it brought people together through the market to exploitation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and just because <laughs> no, because what's interesting about it is like the because like this whole question of science. Um, yeah. Because what is was science? You know, in of the past, like what was science of the past, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. This is very important. Yeah. What was science in the epoch mm -hmm. of the rise of capitalism mm -hmm. is not science in the epoch of the downfall of capitalism. And in the same, in the same way, because science, you're dealing with the question of truth and what is known. Um, so the purpose of science, like you said with Einstein, the understanding of everyday thought, what are the questions of humanity? Yeah. What is it that we're trying to um, either attain or better make possible? Whether that be a world peace or democracy, um, which are all scientific endeavors, actually. Um, yes. But 
that new stage, like we're reaching um, or struggling for it. So. This is so This piece of it, I don't know if I can get all of this. No, 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 no. no issues. This is why that first panel, yeah. everybody has to come prepared with all of these questions no, but and discussions. To, because, sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I know. I don't mean to make it to say that you should include this in the in that specific way, because mm -hmm. I'm saying that the what is could be written is that in this for humanity, we are faced with the responsibility, like yeah. you're saying, mm -hmm. um, the, oh, the at the end you had used those quotes from King. The fierce urgency of now, um, that kind of thing. Like you are saying it, but the meaning behind it is what I'm explaining. Why is it meaningful? Um, yeah. That's all. This uh, this is trying to helping you trying to make a connection between the imaginary and uh, children. Yeah. Uh, I, mean, I, I view them as a boundless, limitless potential of yeah. imaginary mm -hmm. and. Uh, you know, similar to Winston and you know black people at that at that time in the general now this great capacity for imaginary that w Winston was not unique in because he came out of the whole experience of black people mm -hmm. but when given the tools especially I guess Marx and Lenin Du Bois and, and others could direct that to bring about a new reality that's how powerful it was when he could direct that uh, imaginary in a scientific way but then that imaginary uh changes science it does right and that's what it's not like oh i got my imaginary mm -hmm. now let me connect science mm -hmm. and reason to it. it's like uh the whole world and this is where i'm, I'm agreeing with with Seraphine. you have to rethink science mm -hmm. and this imaginary this experience all of that is provides the basis for the defense of science mm -hmm. because otherwise science becomes positivism mm -hmm. and a bunch of people in these universities talking shit yeah. and um and there's no human presence in any of it mm -hmm. but that imagine and this cat like winston he's defending science against dogmatism mm -hmm. he really is i yeah, it's like the revolution, um, <laughs> re revolution of uh, revolution of values. The revolution of values, meaning like actually, what are the values that the American people or that we share? What are the real values that we share? Not the values of the deep state or the ruling elite or the racists. <clears throat> he was saying like the way that King says it assumes there's a set of values that we actually carry, in spite of the values that we go forth with, um, you know what I mean? Like he's struggling against racism. He's struggling against, he, he's struggling for peace, um, a revolution of values. There's a mindset of a different assessment of values or in, or a rational or of the rational, the scientific. What is rational? What is the science? That's, that's what's, and see that experience brings it up as a question rather than 
a given. Right. Oh, this is science. This is Marxism. Mm -hmm. No, he didn't. He, that's not the way he was rolling. <sighs> you know, uh, because if that, see, because all that I believe in, it's hard, you know. I'm not making this up. And you probably have experienced in your own life. Uh, you take a white Marxist. He or she is talking about a world that most people wouldn't recognize. That's not my life. Yeah. I mean, oh, you you super smart. You understand capitalist contradictions and all that kind of thing. But what about and you talk about the working class, you know, but there is no black proletariat and certainly no black proletarian imaginary. And it's this thing of taking that imaginary out and then, and you've probably seen this yourself, black workers just have to be the same as white workers. Uh-uh, they're not the same. They're not the same. They bring a different quality. And that's what Winston brought to the scientific discussion and the critical discussion of what Marxism meant and what the Communist Party should look like. He didn't fully realize his vision, believe me. So it ends up in what you got today. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I, I take it as a compliment when I say something, you can activate it. No, no. <laughs> but this imaginary is not uh, something that just makes you predisposed to science and then replaces the imaginary. Mm -hmm. no. it's, not, it's not supposed to constrain you in any way. No. It, it's, and as you said, it's imaginary can allow you to generate new ways of science. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, this when I'm when I'm thinking about you know, especially uh, children, how to have the imaginary feed into the science, and then the science yeah. feed into the imaginary. It's a great pedagogical question. Yeah. This mm -hmm. this interplay that I don't understand, but I feel like it has to be like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, mm -hmm. it, for a new American people, you know, the in in, in the ways that. Need to be in, in this time, uh, and I think about uh, Winston and, and an imaginary coming out of his experience, and then yeah, in Philadelphia right now, especially I think this is one of the places of like hiding crisis. Mm -hmm. I think that this is a, a you know a place that can especially uh, uh, need uh, the freeing the tools that uh, a science can give that doesn't diminish the imaginary mm -hmm. that can bring the new American people. And when thinking about, I guess, the oneness that uh, is occurring in the American people, where uh, white people, in, in, I guess, rising to the occasion, are becoming more black. And all people, I guess, how, how, does, how does this imaginary become part of the American people? Mm -hmm. uh, but maybe, maybe back then, you know, but, uh, people might have thought of it more like, oh, we have a religion that helps you. I don't know, but some, some, some kind of way for that to be uh, part of the American people is uh, mm -hmm. a necessity. I, think, I like that point, Eddie, because, um, uh, you know, there is this thing about, you know, this thing about, um, about whether or not, um, you know, the science and the imaginary, what is the imagination, right? It's the, the, the mind's active process of, you know, concretizing what it's thinking. Um, and uh, I think what's interesting about um, that is then comes there, or they say phenomenology. That really wasn't what I meant so much. Um, and I, I, I'll add that, you know, when you say religion, um, it's 
not so much religion. I think it's the belief plus the um, the practice of it. You know what I mean? So we all had that conference on uh, uh, Reverend James Lawson recently. Wonderful. Um, I didn't see it, but um, wonderful. Um, and so he's a methodologist, methodologically. You know, it's the method toward nonviolence. And that's just from a base on this, from a political level. And there's very many different levels to life, you know, to, you know, depending on how you explore it, right? Um, and so, you know, for example, you do AI, right? So that's the science plus the um, yeah, human element, you know what I mean? Um, and I know there's that question of morality with AI. Um, it depends if, 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 if AI follows our footsteps, they'll have morality. Also have its AI also have its difficulties too. Though. <laughs> depends, you know, it depends on who's involved or not who's involved or, or the ideas you know, involved. Um, but I think it's you know you know for example you start feeling as you guys are you know that's the the, the, the imagination um, and you know when you add it then to um, uh, you know years of drawing or whatever years of you know um, applying um, what you you, you know. What you believe into the paper, basically. Um, so I think it's really, I like the Yeah, I just wanted to add um, it seems like part of what is being argued through Winston is for the fulfillment of a new science against the degradation of science, yeah. which is basically what we have today. Um, yeah, it's funny because, like, I work in like scientific academic publishing, my, my day job. And um, like the thing that all of these companies that manage like scientific publishing, basically, like scientific research, the thing that they're most uh, concerned about is like the anti-science uh, sentiments of the general population, which I think is very funny. Um, and they're always trying to find ways to basically shore up their legitimacy, like the legitimacy of real, quote unquote, real science, um, which people have clearly rejected. In, and it manifests in so many different ways, like especially in America. But um, yeah, I think I really like the, like the way that you, first of all, like, I don't know, capture like what Winston breathed in when he was growing up. I don't know, it's just really, as people said, like it was really beautiful, but also, the way that you described the, like the imaginary and the intuitive, it helps to explain, it's almost like the category that, or like the description that comes to mind most often with something like the civil rights movement, which is how do you explain the unexpected, <laughs> which is exactly what the civil rights movement was, an unexpected movement of the people that the ruling class never could have predicted, and yet actually did, um, affect a real transformation in America. And it's also um, like, I don't know if this is exactly the same, but like that quote that I read last week from Du Bois and Souls of Black Folk, the way that he describes the thought of Black people is as the thought of the things themselves. The thought of the things themselves. And so he's, he's using it in an ironic way where it's like Black people basically were branded as like a thing like not the human being, right? Oh, yes. And so it's like out of that position, what new thought, what kind of new thought and emotion emerges? Like what new like force of 
like thinking. Um, I don't know, it's just like, a, it was just an interesting formulation of how you put it that I feel like is like in parallel to what you're saying about the intuitive um, and just like the unique way that it black is, people- It's yeah. all ironic, that's, yeah. what, that's what I'm trying to say yeah. here. It's not so mechanically put together like yeah. a puzzle. It's the irony of the whole situation yeah. that science now is in the hands of the people who are not even supposed to be able to think, right. let alone think rationally. It's, right. it's, that's, yeah, oh, I'm yeah. sorry. No, 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 yeah. 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 You gotta remember that's to the ruling class. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, um, I just I I had like a few questions I think related to to the essay. Um, one of them was I think the specific use of like the the logic of threes and the trilect the logic of threes and the because um, I feel like this is something that we've been almost like trying to work out for the past couple basically for like the past year or so since the tenth anniversary. And like the specific logic of threes that is unfolding with Winston and like the scientific rational, the black prophetic, the black imaginary, and then the um, the moral imperative, the moral revolutionary imperative. I feel like I'm what I'm trying to understand is what is the logic that is propelling it forward? Because I feel like, for instance, when Du Bois is framing a similar, like a, another triad in black reconstruction of the planter, the black worker and the white worker. It's like a different, I feel like yeah. there's a there's yeah. a very clear contradiction there. Whereas I feel like what I'm still trying to understand with how you're framing things is yeah. with those, with but with these three different like modes of thinking almost, yeah. is that, is it still propelled by a contradiction or is it like a different thing that's propelling the relationship because it's but i don't know if this is actually relevant but something this is very but like i don't know yeah no but it um the the funny thing is like it makes me think about and i don't know if it's yeah again relevant but like the way that for instance like christians talk about the trinity like the god Mm -hmm. god christ and holy spirit thing is it's not propelled by like a contradiction but it's a creative like the way that that i i've always understood it as a kid it's like it's like a creative relationship amongst the three and that but there are still like a unity that is um underlying it all and so it's just interesting yeah Yeah. can i just and this is i hope we can work see for me um you know the way i way i see the black proletarian imaginary is the vital center, the critical mm-hmm. center of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. There is nothing that holds it together. If you just said the rational scientific and, and the revolutionary imperative, okay, you can put them together. But it's still lifeless. Mm-hmm. You put that black proletarian imaginary with, and know all of it, you know, and, and of course he, he does a little bit by the study of music that imaginary, but uh, when you put that in, the whole thing, everything comes alive suddenly. But, and I agree with you, um, what are the relationships between the three? Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay, I haven't figured it out, but one part, is it dialectical, Mm -hmm. which means contradictory? Mm -hmm. Or is it formal, which means we just, put them together mechanically. Mm-hmm. Is it ironic? Mm-hmm. Obviously, 
there is an ironic relationship between the rational and the imaginary, if not a contradictory one, but definitely ironic. And then when you put black on and proletariat on the imaginary, you you you're upsetting a lot of shit here now. You get going out to deep water because okay, go, go ahead, go ahead. No, I mean I feel like the other the other thing that was really uh, cool when I was just listening to it is like it reminded me of Science Reading Group a lot, but also there's that famous Thomas Kuhn book, The Structure of Scientific Revolution. Oh, yes, yes, yes. But I mean, I don't know if like how relevant it is because I haven't read it to be honest. But the <laughs> the the thing that's so interesting is like basically it's like not just the nature of like Winston's scientific revolution, but like the merging of science and revolution, and then like what how like what is actually propelling that and um this is and i i don't know it just it's just a very there's a lot to be worked out because you're going yeah. against so much that is common right. sense right. Right. the right. common sense notion of science right. which most scientists adhere to right. which is a fantasy mm -hmm. so most scientists as i've learned from my friends <laughs> most scientists live in a fantasy world it's fictional <laughs> you know but but then you know, to any of us, if you said that science is connected to revolution, oh, please, how can you say that? You know, and I'm a conservative and I'm one to uphold, you know, so that's already, you know, it's like if you say such things, then uh, you're, it's like you're an outsider intruding on their beautiful house. You know, this beautiful house of science. Mm -hmm. But then the, the the crime of all crimes, this is Du Bois talking about Jack Johnson, his crime of crimes was his blackness, his unforgivable blackness. And that's a great crime within science. The fiction of science. This unforgivable black imaginary. It's unforgivable. But there is it is, you know, you know what I'm saying. You get my point. I, I agree with the way you the way you're putting it, Jerry, Jerry. This question of what is going on here, and what is it a new is a new science emerging? Mm -hmm. You know, something. Oh, well, that that also gets to the other the one other question I had was, um, you frame. Like how Winston is using like Du Bois and Lenin. Yes. That yes. Du Bois is a specific theory and Lenin, like Marxism, Leninism is a general theory. And I was wondering if you could like expound on that more, but especially for this moment, like I feel like this is also just me saying it from the perspective of like, you know, we, I feel like in the free school, basically we've all been brought up in Du Bois. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and I feel like part of what I feel, which is maybe not. Like, I don't know how, I guess, rational it is, but I feel like Du Bois is like a gen like now, like a general theory I, kind I, of I, thing. I could see that easy. But, it's, but that. It's, it's more that if like you understand, first of all, that what Lenin, like Mark, what Marx and Lenin offer is like a general theory of the crisis of capitalism, well, the right? the general theory of the development of capitalism. Right, right. Yeah. And what Du Bois- General theory of the class conflict. Right, right. And what Du Bois, but then what Du Bois brings in is like a, almost like a general theory of like that 
but also like the civilizational thing and like the fact that basically the epoch that we are emerging out of is not just the epoch of capitalism, but the epoch of literally like of the West, like the epoch of Western domination over the world. And like that has to be considered as not a distinct phenomenon, but like an integral part of the epoch from which we're emerging. And so I feel like, I don't know, maybe that could, no, no, like no, you no, could ex like me, explain me, could, I yeah. a, could I just suggest mm -hmm. a way that it, it's, you know, because all of this is cascading. I mean, this is why this is so difficult. Yeah. <laughs> could Du Bois replace Lenin? I wish he spoke more. I mean, mm -hmm. I wish I wish he spoke more. You know, I, I, I wish, you know, with, with Du Bois, because he, I mean, he, Basically, was I mean it, it, there are there's people, but I wish he, I wish he did. Yeah, but oh, but see the question is, could the general theory be replaced by a more concrete? Absolutely, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Don't don't don't. No, no, no. All I'm saying is, don't let let's leave it as a question right now. Oh, it's a question. Yes, a problematic to be investigated. But it, it flows out of what Jerry is saying. Right, right, right. Well, if Lenin is the general, the general theory of capitalist development, the general theory, and it is more general, because it is not that specific or concrete. You mean imperialism. But, you know, but here you get uh, uh, Du Bois doing all this empirical research and data on a concrete country. Marx or Lenin never did any of that. I can tell you, nothing close to it. Very significant. Yeah, and it's very significant. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so, I, I don't know the answer. We got to figure this out. Is Du Bois a new general theory based upon concrete? Experience of the United States. Now, of course, Marxist does capital becomes a general theory based upon his study of the English factory system. But here, but but I would have to say, I would argue. And 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 you know, that's kind of, is a, first of all, and, and Danny, Danny wrote Danny Jacobs got this right. When he see Danny Jacobs out of me saying <laughs> that my favorite yeah, philosopher yeah, yeah. my favorite philosopher was Kant. I tried to keep it on really? <laughs> but you you see Danny is constantly going to Adam Smith mm. as the foundation of Karl Marx's work. You know what I'm saying? And I'm saying okay if let's take you know an an analog Let's say that Adam Smith was the general theory of capitalism and Marx studying the English factory system was a specific theory, a concrete theory. But then, as it turns out, Marx and the concrete theory has replaced Smith. And so Marx becomes a general theory. It is not out of the question based upon everything that we're talking about, including this change of epoch science and different epochs, that 
Du Bois could become the general theory, replacing the old general theory. The movement of time. That's right. That's, I mean, all the, everything opens up. Everything opens up. So, you know, like you get like groups like Platypus that say that the left is dead, Marxism is dead, and so on. Well, there could be an element of truth, but but I would say I think a lot of their narrative is undialectical. But that's another question. But if it is dead, then what is replacing it? it it's 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 I. I mean, it's just like so interesting to make you want to jump up and start shouting. And, <laughs> because not only the black proletarian imaginary, oh, you won't bring them into the discussion of science. Oh, crime of crimes. Oh, you, you out of order, you know what I'm saying? But then how dare you suggest that the concrete theory, i.e. Du Bois, must replace the old general theory, i.e. Marx. Mm -hmm. Which doesn't take anything away from Marx mm -hmm. or make Du Bois what he is not, mm -hmm. but it looks at the movement of knowledge and science and what is now the general theory. I agree with you. You in the sun. Because no, let's not, be, oh, I'm sorry, I'll shut up. I was going to talk about John Maynard Keynes and his general theory. Oh, go good, sir. What was the general theory? Uh, well, he called it that, the general theory of credit, money, and I forget the other one. Mm -hmm. uh, interest? Huh? Interest. Interest, yeah. Interest, credit, money, I think those are the three. But it was called a general theory. Mm -hmm. That's that's what I was just... What was it about? Oh, economics. Okay. Well, yeah, but, um, yeah. What was but I get. But I was just. I'm just on the on the on the. See, just on. See the question of knowledge and science. You did one coming from <laughs> knowledge and science and how it moves forward. And don't and don't discriminate because one cat is black. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't discriminate because <laughs> <laughs> And that's why, you know, and I, oh, well, I'll shut up. I was thinking that in this time when social science is barely considered a science, yes, the science of society, the science of people is barely considered a science, yes, it really betrays that we have been through a steady period of counter-revolution which has led to this point, right? And I keep going back to um, what you were saying about Winston's childhood, you know, like yeah. he has he has seen an unimaginable, an unimaginable amount of pain and suffering yes. and oppression, right? But he, and we already know that he thinks scientifically. So scientifically, he came to the conclusion that empathy is the answer. Mm -hmm. He came to the conclusion that you have to, you, you might see a lot of suffering and oppression, 
but the way that you respond to it is not reaction and victimhood, which is rational today. You know that has become the rationale of today, and I think that that has become so because of this counter revolution throughout the years leading up till now. But I think that the only way that he could have gotten to this conclusion, and I don't think that he was the only one who did. I think King did as well, and others who really understood people who were really who were born of the people and lived by them, and they had this black proletarian imaginary. Always as a part of their lives, and that kind of scientific. Because if you think about it, you have seen pain, you have suffered, you've been poorer than poor. There is, or you can say, there is a rationale to be bitter about your your environment or the or the conditions, but. It's this something. Uh, it's this imaginary that makes you go against this. Hmm. It makes you go against it and say that no, the answer lies in something different. Yeah. See, see, and I, I think with Winston, it pushes him towards science and reason, you know, and to enrich it. But then it, at the same time, pushes him towards revolution. Right. You know. It's it's just um, I mean you know interestingly Winston might be a case study yeah you know a case study kind of a black swan an outsider outlier who advances the whole thing you you really have to look at his faith in science you know you really have to look at his faith in science and the way that you know, all of his thoughts are. Dialectical thoughts. You know, he doesn't. Yeah. Um, it's not. He doesn't operate in the categories of black and white, and in this case, black and white, right? Um, like metaphorically speaking, and you know, you mentioned that Kant is your favorite. Uh, <laughs> 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 I haven't owned that yet. But you know, when, when Kant said that uh, as part of you know, moral philosophy or deontological moral philosophy, there are some things that people do as an imperative, you know, his establishment yes. of moral right. imperative. That's right. And Winston, that's Kant, that, that's right? That he, he, he was like, there are just some things that people do opposed to reason almost. And Winston's evolution of that theory from a moral imperative to a revolutionary imperative, is, and the, and the and the moral imperative is revolutionary imperative. That's what I was trying to. Yeah. Can can you keep? I'm sorry, but uh, just thinking about this, you know, parts of uh, you know, kind of saying about Kant. Um, didn't King critique him? I guess philosophically. Hey, I mean, no, excuse me, Mark. I mean, Marx. We're not yeah, 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 yeah. Not taking yeah, from yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Then, well, then well, well what King was, what, what King was critiquing, were 
Mark says. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly yeah, that's what yeah, 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 that's what I'm saying. Yeah, 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 that's straight, you know, because yeah, there's yeah. more to life. Yeah. Not, see, not saying, you know, but see the content more aspects. Yeah, see, nature, see, yeah, Kant was developing, as he saw, a philosophy of science, mm -hmm. a philosophy that would equip science to do its job better, so to speak. Hegel, the same thing. You know what I'm saying? So, but they're looking at science in a very structured, rationalist way. You dig what I'm saying? You know, that's what they're doing. And I'm not hating. It's a beautiful thing that they, you know, that breakthrough. But, and this is, but it, it applies primarily to natural science, physical science, not to social science. And, and that's where it gets messy because you're dealing with a human being. Mm -hmm. And that's, of course, that's Du Bois. And Du Bois said positivism does not fit mm -hmm. social science. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because you're dealing with uncaused causes, the unpredicted, the, un, the, uh, the improvisational, the, um, okay. you know, the whole, everything that's human. You know? And that's why. But what is the human in, how does a human express itself in science, in the experience of the American working class? Mm -hmm. That black proletariat. I'm convinced it is the engine of class consciousness in the United States. More than that conflict that leads to a strike you see what I'm saying? Like you got the UAW strike. Mm. Okay, they're out. It looks like a hard, it's going to be a hard, fought, long strike. But what do they come out with at the end of the day? Mm -hmm. Well, they're going to hate the bosses, they're going to hate GM and Ford and so on. Well, good. But that's not yet class consciousness. <laughs> In this whole, you need what, what we're calling. The, to the total experience, not only with the bosses, but with the fellow worker that is black. Where does the strike come from then? Say again. Where does the strike come from then? Yeah, well, the, well, the, the strike, okay. The, the bosses provoke the strike, but it don't, but see, you ain't transformed by the strike. Depends. It really it depends. It's like you said one time to me, you know, you talk about um, Prince's struggle with the music music um, yeah, yeah. industry. Mm -hmm. It's the same with a lot of some of the same with a lot of like that. Dig it like this. See, we're talking, and everybody, that qualitative leap. See, after the strike is over, white workers will view it in one way and have drug. Black workers do it very differently. They see something different. You know what I'm saying? And it is that imaginary. They see something different. And that, that in fact, is an area of sociological research. You know, I mean, really, I mean, a great sociologist would go buck wild crazy studying something like this, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? This is, this is a beautiful thing, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Um, my other thing on my mind is the civilization and potentiality. So, the civilization. Oh, yeah, the civilization and potentiality. Um, just on that concept, because um, 
like really with what you're saying also is that it was the black military to even have a civilization in America. Whether this civilization and potentiality will become the civilization of a whole people, of a whole nation. And we, you know, we flirting with that all the time in our preschool discussions. Yeah. This is just a small note, but earlier when you were reading the essay, I was also really moved by the parts where you talked about Winston as basically a child of the early 20th century and what that meant, but also a child of um, the second American Revolution, Reconstruction. And yeah, I've been processing it during our conversation, but yeah, specifically you said, he said he had, you had, he, he grew up under the Jim Crow and sharecropping laws. And actually what my mind went to was it almost explained something about the third American revolution and the imaginary that we see there and how tight it is to the second revolution. Because you have all these figures like King, Baldwin, Robeson, Mm -hmm. who say things like, okay, my father was a preacher or my father or my grandfather was a slave. And what it meant for that slave to achieve freedom like a switch because I had actually reread Baldwin's Go Tell It on the Mountain recently. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, if we're going to talk about the black proletariat imaginary, the whole novel is suffused with that that reach, you know? And um, and he even had a passage that it felt a lot like Du Bois's Coming of the Lord in Black Reconstruction. Coming which souls. Oh no, Coming of Black, I'm sorry. Yeah, like what it, yeah. It was just so real, like what it meant for that freedom to suddenly cascade upon a people and for the people to also be prepared to, you know, be unleashed. Um, yeah, I just think there's something there that I'm still trying to draw out, but but what it meant that Winston was also coming out of that time. Yeah, yeah history. Yeah. It's so it's- well, I know we should move on to Avanka uh, Hart, but this, okay. so we don't need to have the symposium here today. <laughs> but I hope everybody comes to the symposium uh, filled with all of these questions and theories. This is very, you know, in, in a lot of ways, uh, we could be helping to decide the future of social science. As such, in the defense of social science and of science generally. Yeah. Well, I want to say one small thing, like about you know, like this this last thing about the general and special theory that you know you guys were talking about, and like I was also thinking of this initially because in the natural sciences there's this idea that the special theory, like you know, that's like that's the one that comes first, and then it's general life. Like that's the way that I'm saying, right? And I was thinking, like you know, this conversation about the like you know, the class struggle or like you know, Marxism being the general theory of today or you know, Du Bois. I was thinking it depends on what we see as the universal category in like in in, in like you know, in the vanguard of struggle. Like, is it the worker or is it the enslaved or the neo-colonial like, proletariat? And you know, that's and you know, if you're like thinking about that as the category which uh, 
that in the category through which you see the ideological struggle, then it, it seems to point the way towards the boys as like you know the more general like you know, like in this time. But yeah, that was yeah. Can we can move on to <laughs> this is getting very transgressive because we go on somewhere that social science and radical ideology uh, would hesitate to go to because it might be becoming the general theory. Gen, I mean, in its scope. It was far more global. Because mm -hmm. the way that you know, the way that Du Bois describes, like even in Russia and America, I think the yeah. term that he uses is a science of human action. Yeah. Like that's the way he yeah. frames like his his social Isn't that interesting. Mm -hmm. Now in free school we talk about the science of human capacity. Yeah. The same thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, maybe we should go to uh, go. Right. Do you want comments oh. or do you want to just go? Oh, yeah, well, let's do comments. We need to do comments. Okay. No, okay, Todd, Kathy, Danny, Christopher Romero, um, and Brother Gregory say good morning. And Brother Gregory says peace and blessings to all, as usual. Um, Danny had commented a while ago I don't think rational is reducible to the conceptual. Intuition is rational because it's social. It might be the first form of sociability, such as pit sympathy or pity. And so for such as? Uh, so sociability, so I think the emotions of like sympathy, pity, things like that. And so he says, for him, rational really means intelligible. And I think that's what we would argue, which is that it's not like, I don't, I think you said that maybe the black proletarian imaginary could be considered irrational, but I don't think it is irrational. I think the first category, it could be like the way we were talking about it is more like the so-called rational, but it's yeah, so yeah. limited no, that actually, good. yeah, like the social intuition yeah. is rational. Um, and then Layat has a lot of comments. Who is that? Um, Layat, Betra, she's at Stan. She comments. Yeah. Um, she says, good morning, joined late today and caught only the end of Doc's essay, but what I heard um, and the discussion thus far has me even more excited for the first issue of avant-garde. <laughs> it seems like a form of proof of what folks are expressing that the positivist rationalist basis of modern science has yielded only widespread apathy, alienation, and doomism. Yep. The experience and insight of a Henry Winston and the empathy it inspires is as scientific as it gets because it is responding to the concrete, not defining it out of the equation. And then she quotes, what is science without the human? It's dogma, which I think was from the conversation. And she says, yes, exactly this. Um, the science that is taught, practiced, and wielded today is distrusted by the people because they can tell it has been weaponized against them. That's not being anti-science or anti-intellectual. And she points to the example of the Canadian Parliament this week. She says, these elite are guilty of all the crimes they accuse the masses of. Mm -hmm. They are the most anti-science and anti-intellectual lot that history has ever produced. <laughs> she says, um, it, would only, it would only be strictly terrifying if we didn't also have assurance that its historical counter tendency, like the revolutionary tendency, is alive and well among the people both in this country and around the world. And she is responding to, I think, when we were talking about Thomas Kuhn, and says, 
Kuhn only talks about scientific revolutions as moments where the scientific community replaces one theoretical paradigm yeah. with another. Yeah. And so she says it's actually an incredibly narrow conception yeah. of yes. revolution. But unfortunately, it's as close to a theory of revolution as many scientists yeah. have. Yes. And yeah, that's the last right, one. Right, right. Okay. okay. Um, yeah, we can give some updates on avant-garde and people who are also working on the first issue and all that stuff should also weigh in and give updates. But basically where we're at is we're trying to launch the journal in time with the uh, Winston Symposium. So um, November like 11, 11, 12, that kind of thing. And um, basically um, we have, what is it, like one, two, three, four, like nine different pieces that are going to be going into the first issue, which I think we covered before, but just again to give a reminder, we have obviously Doc's essay on Winston, which will also be published in um, that, re, that new version of strategy um, published by Todd and others. Then we have um, Serafina developing a painting on Black Reconstruction, um, which is and then, um, and then also Nuri is developing an article on civilization and civilization as a category, almost a Du Boisian category, but also civilization as a category for this time um, and the achievement of almost like a new uh, modernity in some ways. Um, and then Emily, Emily is writing an article on Trotskyism, a warning to the young generation. Um, which I think will be really interesting also in light of this conversation because I think this is just for more of me speaking, but part of what distinguishes, I think, this moment from the period in which Winston was writing, even when you were part of the, the Communist Party, um, is that whereas I feel like Winston many times was writing basically in defense of Marxism-Leninism and also, in but basically more so in defense of the world communist movement um, as like a working active force in the world at the time. I feel like when we do a critique of Trotskyism, it is not that we're going against Marxism-Leninism or the world communist movement, but we are also writing in defense of basically, if we tentatively like are arguing, let's say that Du Bois is like maybe offers a general theory for this moment, we're writing more from that perspective. And it's not to be like, oh, we need to go back to the principles of Marxism, Leninism, um, which I feel like was kind of more part of the dynamic in the past. So it's, a, it's an interesting challenge in some ways for all of us yeah. to articulate like a scientific way of critique, which I think is an important part of um, what we're doing with avant-garde. Um, and Emily's, you know, working on, working on this essay and examining like Trotskyism as in its current manifestation um, as an ideological trend mm -hmm. that basically captures young people. Um, then Michelle is doing a photo retrospective of the free school, um, which will be like a series of photos, um, maybe with some, a few like brief written things accompanying it. And then Kathy, as we all know, is doing her article on free jazz and the World Festival of Youth and Students and Archie Shep in Philadelphia. Um, and I feel like we got a good sense of that last week. Um, and then Matt Eddy is writing in uh, an essay on basically like the role of like Mexican-Americans and Latinos in the United States, but how they can find their way towards 
the black freedom struggle and also but more broadly to also reach toward this afro-asiatic reconfiguration of the world um and then jahan is developing his critique of gerald horn and settler colonialism and and all that stuff and i'm also developing a critique of norman finkelstein in his recent book on like wokeness and cancel culture and stuff like that um i think that's all of the that's all the pieces but yeah there's a lot of um as people can say there's like a lot of different moving pieces that need to be worked out like ideologically but also just yeah like michelle and, I and others part of the editorial board were um trying to also develop like the visual presentation of the journal from the website to like a logo to even like even if we don't print for instance like the first issue is like a printed thing um i think it would be really cool if we had like still like a an image or just like the first issue you know like a, almost like a magazine cover or something like that um so yeah like serafina's working on stuff as well um so yeah there's a lot of different moving pieces um, but but yeah we're basically entering a stage in which people are flushing out letters. yeah like you know we're hitting the critical moment where people are like flushing out their articles flushing out the pieces doing revisions trying to basically get into a place where um we can have things ready by um by november so, yeah um the throughout the talks because we've had meetings to discuss all of our articles um i just want to bring up uh, they are all like they mean a lot to one another's topics if that makes sense like they all are they all all are related and um you know one of the ties that i'm seeing is the struggle for world for world peace um and our studies and our conversations that we have in free school will be kind of ongoing and affects all of our articles and the things that we work on. So it, you know, isn't like we can't grow from what we're writing at all. In fact, it's the opposite. Um, in that we learn so much and we're consolidating a lot um, to say um, these things about world peace, about the American people um, and working out like these philosophical and ideological um, framework, this philosophical and ideological framework that we have. Um, but similar to our conversation that we're having about Henry Winston, um, the reason why in my mind, this whole thing about, you know, world peace and the crisis of neocolonialism or the American people are like major um, concepts that we're um, dealing with is because um, in, the, in the way that we are writing, we are justifying the 10th anniversary. And like you're saying that there is a sky there's a future to struggle for that is worth struggling for. Mm -hmm. There's a world that's worth struggling for. Um, but it's been really nice to see how it'll, it'll kind of come together. The second thing is with the logo, iterations have happened. And um, 
I've kind of landed on, on developing, not really much landed, but developing this one idea which consists of the new world coming into being, um, showing the Afroasiatic, like Africa and Asia. And um, I kind of wanted to use like two human people, um, which are also protecting or you know, mm. kind of, I have an image of it, I can show it, but that's generally kind of the um, idea that I have um, about avant-garde, mm -hmm. um, which deals with the world, because I, okay, because I thought, um, or I had a moment where actually Martin Luther King has everything to do with avant-garde, and what that means is that the black proletariat and what we're working out as a black proletariat imaginary has everything to do with avant-garde, meaning, okay, what is a black imaginary? What is a black proletariat? One of the things that has to do with it is how the world proletariat, like you're saying, the neo-colonial, like, and the black proletariat is, the black proletariat is not, you know, solely a specific or solely of the America. It is what connects, you know, this, American people, the consciousness of the American people to the world that is also becoming, like we're seeing with BRICS. Um, and so that's also why the Afro-Asiatic reconstitution has everything to do with the Black proletariat, mm -hmm. um, imaginary, and why I wanted to include it in that way. Um, and yeah, so that's what I'm kind of running with. And I'll, I can show it. I have, It'll be fun. Oh, yeah, I do. Okay. Yay. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. It's, a, it's just an idea. Yeah. Kind of grungy right now, but I wanted to like uh, make it more uh, like I wanted to put it on nice paper and then work it out a little bit. Yeah. Thank so. you. That's kind of what I'm working with as a logo. You for know, the journal. For the journal. Wow. But, you know, this also made me think that, you know, I've been looking at so much stuff that you can, uh, that has to, like, do with bricks and stuff this week. I was, like, looking at a bunch of speeches and stuff. And all the stuff that they use, like Xi Jinping and Putin, is still the Picasso um, oh. bird. Like, they're still using the bird in some way. And, like, another thing that this magazine will do is put on the map that this country is not going really anywhere and that we're still struggling for a new world like the rest of the yeah. countries that are also coalescing yeah. um, which i think is actually really important so anything else to say on this sounds good i guess we just mm -hmm. Okay, just a few things on the election. <laughs> uh, as you know, last Sunday, a poll came out, ABC Washington Post, which of course is a mainstream poll, hmm. showing Trump leading Biden by 10 points. Welcome back. And, mm -hmm, yeah, and it means or suggests if this trend continues, that Biden cannot be the candidate for the Democratic Party. Yeah. 
And if not Biden, then who? Or if it is Biden, uh, will the election effectively be over by May or June next year? Mm -hmm. uh, Trump will have moved so far ahead of him. Uh, well, one thing is, is for certain that the Democratic Party and the Biden campaign is falling apart. Uh, there are all kinds of factions within the Democratic Party. As you know, Kamala Harris is connected to the Obama wing. Mm -hmm. uh, then there's the Biden and or Hillary Clinton wing. Uh, and uh, maybe a Bernie Sanders, AOC wing. But if Biden is not the candidate, or if it seems that it is inevitable that he will lose, then these different factions will literally go into war with each other. The opposite is the case with the Republican Party. It is now the Trump Party, or the Trump movement, uh, with a few uh, uh, elite elected official senators and others holding on and wishing and hoping that this Trump thing goes away. But uh, we have this budget fight where it boils down to a fight over funding for the Ukraine war. Oof. I mean, it would just be stupid. It would be silly. It would be silly if they, if they, if they continue to fund the war. I mean, there is isn't this interesting that the whole budget thing is boiling down to the issue of war and peace? Mm -hmm. If the war is not funded, well, you don't get to have a complete majority in the House. But if the war against Russia mm -hmm. is being skeptically received politically, yeah. well, what does that say about? war with China. Could this not be, and it's too early, I think, to say the beginning of a new kind of peace movement. Yeah, this, mm. yeah they got to catch this know, An anti-war movement, yeah. yeah. It, it, and yeah. so we just have to keep our eyes, but all of this will be a part of the 2024 election. Uh, now, of course, when you talk of the Trump movement, you're talking about all kinds of people. It is a movement. And you get, uh, if, you, if you go on YouTube and look at some of these podcasts, some of the wildest, craziest people who like Trump because they don't like the fact that they've been locked out. And, and it's not a principle political relationship. It's not like us. Uh, we want Biden defeated because of their war policies. But then... Um, is Tulsi running? Mm -hmm. Is Tulsi running? No, no, no. no. She's but, good. Well, it would be a great thing, but... And we have to see where Cornell goes, how he develops. But I think, uh, you know, Robert F. Kennedy is going to speak here on October 9th, and I think it's predicted that he is going to run as an independent. Anybody got any information on that? Yeah. Come on. Yeah. On his website, we look. He, he has days booked for the 8th, 7th, and 8th. It doesn't have to up the reserve on the 9th. I'm trying to go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, 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 he announced it, though. 
Yeah, it says that um, the Kennedy's campaign is now planning uh, attack ads against the DNC to pave way for his announcement in Philadelphia about running as an independent, according to a text review by uh, media. Media, I, it's like a there's this, it's like a random news outlet. Yeah. What did they say? A random news outlet have also recorded. Uh, I'll reread it. It says Kennedy's campaign is now planning attack ads against the DNC to pave the way for his announcement in Philadelphia about running as an independent, according to a text review by Mediate. The Real Clear Politics polling average for the Democratic nomination shows Kennedy at 14.9%, well behind Biden at 65%. Um, the only other can Democratic candidate, Marianne Williamson, is at 4.9%. Um, I'm not sure what McArdle is, though. Um, in this article, it's bringing up McArdle, but maybe that's just the article. Hmm. Oh, I've been asked to ask you to reread that. Well, I, I think uh, I think already this this coalition of the discontented, you know, Cornell and most real clear politics polls is polling somewhere around four or five percent, which is not bad. Uh, and also the uh, the fact that young black people, especially young black men, are leaving the Democratic Party in droves. If young black men are leaving, it's not far behind that older black men. I think they're they all already left. They already left. And I agree. It's a small percentage, but it's, that's, that's no, enough I, to call I, it. I think you're absolutely no, right. Especially, I mean, you know, this is, I mean, it's a, a majority black city, but that the, the state is majority, you know, white, you know, whatever. And that's but, but see, but the thing is, but you're absolutely right. The Democrats cannot win Pennsylvania without Philadelphia. They can't win. And do we, do we need them to? Well, Unless it, it's for not running Democrats. Uh, no, he's he's I mean, he doesn't even need to run under. Uh, see the thing I don't know why he's going to Pennsylvania. No, 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 the last mayoral primary, where 75% of black registered voters didn't even come out to vote. You can't win. And, um, and you know, the electoral college and the battleground states, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, maybe Virginia, Georgia, uh, Arizona, there are about six or seven battleground states. And that's where it's going to be fought out. Uh, and it looks like the battleground states, Biden can't win. Um, he's not, he can't win. I don't think, he, well, anyway. Except with mail-in ballots. Except with mail-in ballots. That's how Seth lost. Well, this is what we can, but anyway, let's say without the corruption of mail-in ballots. <laughs> um, right, right. That's the interesting thing about Philly right now, though. 
because because he lost um, off of because he won the election, right? He won that the ward, whatever district, whatever mm -hmm. award leader. He at, at election day he won. After mail-in ballots were counted, he lost. So that might be it. Might speak to it. Might not be corruption. Yeah, it might, but it is like a. But if it's a straight up election, it's going right now. Yeah, the political realignment is occurring. It's going forward. This. And we have, oh, by the way, we should all try to go to the Robert F. Kennedy event wherever it's held. Uh, this will be very, very important. Um, I think going forward, the year Baldwin, we should think about yeah. reaching out to Kennedy, Robert F. Kennedy, and Cornell to join rallies here in, you know, in the name of Baldwin. Um, which is, oh, by the way, I have to tell just a small thing, you know, because we, we've been spending a lot of time in the planning of the Baldwin event, and um, um, it's a big thing, because you know how we, in the year of, um, in the year of, um, du Bois. of Du Bois, mm -hmm. we got a city council resolution, and the year celebrating the celebration of the Indian independence, we had a mayoral proclamation. What about a relationship? We decided against getting any mayoral or city council because of the nasty politics that will be taking place next year. In other words, let us say. We got a city council resolution supporting the year Baldwin. And then we had a rally with Cornell West or whatever. And they would say, oh, hold it, wait a minute. We didn't pass this resolution for you all to get involved in politics against the Democratic candidate. You know what I'm saying? So we said, we're not going to even try that route. But it is, um, you know, um, everything is made more complex. This is going to be a bitter ideological struggle because the blackness leadership class is going to be losing their hold upon the black voters. And they're going to fight very bitterly to hold on. Now, of course, every other kind of opportunist and, um, you know, is going to try to jump in and claim to be the alternative to the blackness leadership class and you know all of that so it's going to be ugly it's going to be bitter uh, a good part of it would be at least from the elites would be grounded in opportunism and political ambition so i think it does uh, we just well, i just say all that to say we just have to go forward with our um with the way we do things. And out of this, um, I think we will be stronger, the people will be stronger, uh, the people will be more ideologically consolidated. It's, it's, a, it's, oh, go ahead, Sarah. No, I mean, just what was bubbling up in my mind is that the president, the election, and like we always talk about, what is the election about? Yeah. What are the presidential campaigns running on, uh, either Kennedy, Trump, or Cornell? And, you know, against the deep state, 
that's one of the stances against forever wars, forever wars and endless wars. Um, this remaking of the American people, like one of Kennedy's, like I was watching one of Kennedy's um, uh, advertisements and he was emphasizing the goodness of the American people. Yeah. Um, and like the possibility of the state, like the American state being overturned is also like on the table actually. Um, because, and, and I think that what that would mean is definitely a lot, uh, but it also means that, yeah, we'll keep going. Um, and it's, and it's gonna, and it's, yeah, but I just wanted to bring that up. And, and you know, um, at the end of it, and we'll see it already, the state will be weakened. Yeah. It might not be overturned, but their hold on the American people is severely weakened. Mm -hmm. This is a situation we've never been in. Everybody says it. Um, I don't think Cornell has articulated it yet, but Trump and Kennedy have. Well, maybe not overturned, weakened, but at least, but then it's like the people and their place in the American, this is, this the question is, of the government or yeah. the state. And, and, that, and that's why we see the possibilities of a de democratic upsurge. It's not taking that form quite yet, mm -hmm. yeah. but it's almost um, implicit in the whole thing, imminent. Yeah. There's something going on here with the people, not the candidates, something going on among the people that's completely new. Yeah, I agree. Because I feel like like part of the, the interesting thing about this time is that it's like the level of the crisis in America has reached such a magnitude in which an election means more than just an election almost. Oh, yeah. And not just that the form it takes, but like what its impact could be exceeds that of basically, if you like, like previous elections in American history. And something that we, we talked about recently in the Bandung group is like, essentially the question of through something like uh, an electoral process and then ultimately trying to get a figure elected, can, it's like almost like, can the federal government be used as a weapon against the state? Like, can the government be used as a weapon against the state? Because I feel like that's basically, like, if you think about the... Yeah, that's more specific. It's like, when you think about... If you, also, if you frame the Trump movement as an actual movement, it's like, you have to ask, what is its objective? What is its aim? And I feel like the easy answer is just to get Trump elected again. But no, they see Trump as their instrument and weapon against the deep state. That, I feel like that is ultimately, they want to eliminate what they see as like, as like the permanent bureaucracy of, like the, of DC and all that stuff. And so I feel like, I don't know, it's just a very interesting time, but also a time to like, when things that may have been one thing in the past, like an election suddenly takes on a new significance in this time and also, yeah, I feel like basically the point is not like that if Trump gets elected that this would be like a revolution or something, but it is a democratic breakthrough. And also I feel like what our 
what we see as a potential of this election is, yeah, one, to weaken the state, but also like an opportunity to further unite the people yeah. and to increase the democratic capacity of the American people as well under this broad umbrella. And I feel like that is a very, that's basically like the kernel of like the possibility that we see in this because, um, yeah, I think with, with RFK Jr., it seems like he's been meeting with um, like the chair of the Libertarian Party, which was also wait, wait, the Libertarian wait, Party, wait, wait, which was, you know, organized the Rage Against the War Machine rally that we went to. Go ahead, no. Yeah. Well, because I think maybe like two years ago, three years ago, or like five years ago, you would have been mm -hmm. like, oh, elections are stupid. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, it's just business as usual. There are yeah, two yeah. parties. The system's rigged mm -hmm. anyway. But I think now yeah. I feel like the ruling class or like even the parties, like the Democratic Party in particular, is like on the defensive, like they're on the back foot. Because yes. what it shows is that your choices are basically either like Trump wins, maybe RFK wins, or like Cornell West, either way, not the chosen candidate by the deep state. Mm -hmm. But then the thing is, is that in trying to basically um, attack RFK or prevent him from even having like a fair primary mm -hmm. process, I feel like the state is also exposing itself. Yeah. Like it's exposing how fundamentally undemocratic it is. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it is an opportunity. Like I think it shows the people something new of like how corrupt it is, how undemocratic it is, and therefore like what the real avenue or the real path for struggle is. And so it's kind of like, it is in some ways kind of a win-win situation because I think the time is such that something of a what's kind of like a win, like the people can't really fully lose because either way, like something has been set into motion where you learn valuable lessons either way. And yeah, like the unification. Well, I mean, the only possible loss if Biden wins is like basically yeah. war. That's like, a loss. Yeah, that's, loss. Loss. that's like that's <laughs> the, the, the loss. Say loss. Yeah. Yeah, Eddie. Okay, go ahead, man. And then Eddie's the last one. Okay, Eddie. Okay, Eddie. Okay, Adding to that, I mean, it reminds me again of a really good discussion where we're like the election of Trump and the Trump movement can be greater than itself, similar to how yes. independence for the colonial uh, struggles was not just a thing in itself. It's a means for the people to uh, assume responsibility for their country, mm -hmm. elevate uh, the, their capacity to govern and have a say in their lives. The point of uh, getting Trump elected all of it, it is one, of course, to weaken the state, but hopefully that process and after he's in office, there can be uh, greater uh, participation of the American people in their nation. Yeah, and that's well. I guess we'll we'll spend the whole you know most of the preschool in the next few weeks on this question. Mm -hmm. Okay, folks. I guess we can prepare to go. Okay. <laughs> I know I'm tired and hungry. <laughs> okay. We're tuning in on the live stream also. Uh, I'm just thinking everyone who tuned in and added comments on the live stream. Um, no, 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 I was just saying goodbye. Uh, 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 uh,